1: Mark A. Altman, Darren Doctorman.
2: Ashley Edward Miller, three fans who became professionals
1: and then became Trexperts, inglorious Trexperts. Listen wherever you find podcasts or go to trexpertsplus.com.
3: Virginia, there may not be a Santa Claus, but there is a GalaxyCon. And guess who's coming? <laughs> it's going to be us, the Inglorious Trexperts in As Richmond, in- Virginia. Inglorious live tour 2023 continues. Wow. Darren and me, Mark A. Altman, will be in Richmond at GalaxyCon. On, uh, when is it, Darren? It's March 24th through 26th. March 24th to March 26th in lovely Richmond, Virginia. And there are going to be a ton of great guests. But none of that matters because we're there. We're there. We are a ton of great guests. We are indeed. (laughs) And we're excited because GalaxyCon is where it's at. These guys put on great shows with great guests, a great dealer's room, and plenty of entertainment. And And more. and more. Yes, exactly. <laughs> the Illusion of Beauty had more. So, uh I'm I'm really excited, Darren. It's going to be a great chance to um well, I was going to say, a great chance for you to meet the fans. That's and, right. And uh, for me, for me to
1: meet the fans, not yes, you. That's <laughs>
3: right. That's right. I'll be eluding uh, deadly scooter accidents. Oh my God. But uh but I'm 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 excited because uh like I said um uh, the the Inglorious Live Tour, or I, as I call it, my farewell tour. This is like uh, the Who, you know. I'm, I'm on my farewell tour, but we know how that turned out. Um, they've been on the same farewell tour now for 50 years. That's right. Um, <laughs> uh, Forty years. That was a, years, that was a Godfather reference.
1: <laughs> Godfather two, actually.
3: <laughs> yeah, he died dying the same heart attack since. But uh, but it's 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 gonna be it's gonna be great. Uh, Jody Whitaker is gonna be there. Rosario Dawson, Kevin Smith, uh, Bill Shatner, Brent Spiner. Um, no, this is Columbus. That's Columbus. <laughs> That's Columbus. You got to click talking. on the click on the Richmond one. I'm talking about Richmond, Virginia. I don't think they have all of their guests up they, yet. They don't. Um, uh, but, but we're going to be there. David Tennant's going to be there. Oh, one of our favorite people, you know, who's going to be there. Not only is Bill Shatter going to be there, Walt Koenig's going to be there. We love Walt. Oh, good. Yeah, it'd be good to see him. Maybe we can uh, maybe, maybe we'll, we can uh... show him another movie he hasn't seen in thirty years. <laughs> Jonathan Frakes will be there. Gates is going to be there, and nice. uh, they're just starting to announce some of these guests. But the list goes on and on. Um, And it's going to be great. Oh, Mariel Hemingway from My Favorite Movie, Manhattan. Nice. And uh, maybe if we can moderate a panel with her. I guess she's there for Superman 4, but we can talk about personal best in Manhattan. Oh, I think they'll be go over the heads of the audience. They'll be like, what? 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 What's going on here? Um Sarah <laughs> Douglas is going to be there. We haven't seen her since, oh, uh, since Lola <laughs> yeah. Superman. That'll be great. Uh, Mark Pillow, Nuclear Man, is going to be there. Nice. And of course, the great Barry Boswick uh, yes. will be there. Star of such legendary movies as Megaforce. So uh, it's going to be a ton of fun. We're going to be there. We hope you'll be there too. Uh, Check out galaxycon.com for all the details, and we'll see you in Richmond, Virginia this March. Hey, it's Mark A. Altman and it's Darren
4: Docterman and Ashley Edward Miller. And we are the
3: inglorious Trexpert's holiday special with special guest Robert Meyer Burnett. What what year is this? 2027. I don't even know anymore. You know that okay. beginning of Buck Rogers where like he's falling and it just the years keep counting up off and up off and off until they get to the 20. I feel that
5: way when I get up every morning. Yeah.
1: I glanced at the chronometer before we started this episode,
3: and we're way beyond now. <laughs> <laughs> we're floating around in Lake Powell. Um, well, no, I got. I got to say,
5: Lake Powell, Mark. Oh, that's true.
3: <laughs> I, I got to say, you know, I feel bad because, um, a couple of episodes ago, uh, we were talking about our favorite TV shows of, um, 2022. And, you know, knowing this is a Star Trek podcast, I was very remiss in not mentioning a show that most of us love. Uh, and of course I'm referring to, uh, for all mankind on Apple. Um, and, uh, I just felt terrible that we didn't mention it because it's a show that, it's always great to shine a light on because a lot of people aren't aware of it. I don't know how well it does. It keeps getting renewed, thankfully. But it's uh, the brainchild of the great Ron Moore. And obviously, uh, um, so many other people w- with Star Trek bona fides have worked on it, um, like the uh, uh, um, veterans of Battlestar Galactica, David Weddle, and, uh, who also wrote one of the great uh, Sam Peckinpah bi-
5: biographies. And, and the and, of course, the Yakutas, exactly, who, keeping it real. I should have mentioned that. It's it's one of my favorite shows. I love that show so much. Uh, I think it? the the uh, actually the last episode of season two was one of the greatest hours of TV ever, especially of, of the 21st century.
3: Well, you know, it's funny because this is a show that I, I know we both loved. I don't think Darren's caught up with it, if I'm not I'm mistaken. I'm not caught up, and, up yet. And um, it just shows you how ephemeral television is these days. Because this is a show, I mean, you know, they finished the third season, what, maybe three months ago? And it's yeah. almost like not even on our radar. I mean, but, we didn't uh, even discuss well, anything. That's the
1: problem with not being on Pluto.
3: <laughs> <laughs> okay, so when we're recording this, true, true spoiler alert, it's actually, it's not 2023. We're back. Not quite. We're back we're in 2022. T- t- we're back in 2022 and we just finished the Thanksgiving uh, holiday how many, how many episodes of Star Trek did you watch on Pluto this weekend, Darren? <laughs> I watched at
1: least four, maybe
3: five. Oh, see, I watched even more than that.
1: Oh, yeah. No, I, I didn't have much time to
3: watch TV. But when I did, I was watching the original series Star Trek. It was so funny. Live. Naomi kept saying to me, like she'd see me on the couch watching. It's like, what, what why are you watching this? And I, it's like, why it's, are you great. it's like, is there something going on with the Star Trek project, or why you why do why, why are you watching watching all this stuff? And I'm like, no, well, you know, because it's on, and it's just cool. It's just a channel that's 24 seven Star yeah. Trek. And she's like, yeah, but you have them on Blu-ray. It's not oh. the point. I said no, but it, no, it's it, on it's, TV, damn. It. And then my kids were like, why, why? And then I blew our Isaac's mind because, um, like literally, um, it would come on, and it would right. be like. I tell Five him what the episode was, and, you know, and then boom, 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 and then yep. and it's like, how do you do that? I said, it's a Years blessing and a curse. List.
5: Yeah, I watched uh, Chain of Command one and two as the cut together movie on Blu-ray. I showed it to a 19-year-old who's a become a big next generation fan. We watched it in full 7.1 surround. What did they think of it? They loved it, and you know, it's it's really interesting that episode. You know, I readjusted and set up a home theater, a media room. And it do a name for it. Like, you know, you have the observatory for your broadcast studio. What do you call the screening room? The Rob Theater. Okay. (laughs) I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know what it's called. (laughs) Um, But no, it, 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 I'll tell you, it, it really is. It really looks, I mean, I, (laughs) I looked at these things for three years, but I never really sat in an environment of optimal viewing environment and listened to them. What's really amazing about these remasters of Next Generation on on Blu-ray is, whenever you're on the ship, the throbbing of the engines can always be heard. Mm-hmm. It's always in the surrounds. Yeah. I don't mean it in it, but it's really interesting how All Because that power surging and throbbing. It's true, throbbing and surging. It was only, and ever, surging. Finished, it was only ever finished in two channel stereo. Yeah, mm-hmm. and when they did the remastering project in you know twenty starting in twenty eleven through twenty fourteen they remixed it in 7.1 uh going back to the original stems and everything but man does it sound great
3: man really look at cool. those stems <laughs> <laughs> that's true yeah it's interesting because you know when people watch star trek now whether it's you know the original or next generation they're not really seeing it the way we saw it because no. the original has all those new effects which you know are they are what they are and then um you know, next generation. They're seeing a version of next generation which never existed. It's when almost we watched a it. totally new next generation. I mean, the the recomposited oh, really? effects, yeah. the remixed, the recolor timed. It's, it's 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 dramatically different, and I, I it it has helped next generation. I feel immensely. Yeah. Um. Uh, the the uh, the remastering project on on next gen.
5: Um, What's interesting funny. is it. Well, it has a very strange period feel to it. Like, different than the original series, it feels out of time somehow. Mm-hmm. I mean, I know it's old, but now not It feels old. like the 80s. But it doesn't. It feels like something unto, it's uniquely unto itself. Like, it doesn't feel like any other, even Deep Space Nine, they changed. Marvin Rush, you know, went to Deep Space Nine, so the color palette was changed. And when Jonathan West came on, who I felt was a better DP. Yeah. You know, I thought
3: the the you know when Jonathan West came on Deep Space Nine, the show got the the look of the show got better. Yep. You know, it's it's obviously it's like when Jerry Jerry Finnerman took over from Ernie Haller after the the second pilot, and uh, as great as Ernie Haller was as a hum, you know, a feature DP, you know, I mean, he did call with the wind. I mean, he had pretty good bona fides, but um, what Jerry, Jerry Finnerman did on uh, the original Star Trek is amazing. And watching on Pluto TV, it reminded me of just how great it looked. I, had, I guess I hadn't watched it in a while, believe it or not. Yeah. Um, but it, it's funny because I would sit there and it'd be an episode. And then I'd go away for a couple of hours and I'd come back and they're showing them in order. So I would kind of, you know, guess like what episode they were up to. Well, let's see, it's been five hours since it was on. so this, right. da, 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 da. I, I
5: was right a lot of the time, which was particularly terrifying.
3: Are they showing them in
5: in broadcast order or production order? I
3: think they're showing them in broadcast order.
5: I think they're broadcast
3: order. Yeah, and um, uh, it was interesting because, like, at the beginning of the weekend, Balance of Terror was on, and like the end of the weekend, Balance of Terror was on. Right, didn't get enough of Balance of Terror. Was they do
1: repeat? They do repeat during the week, but uh, every every week, I think they switch them up.
4: But they balanced the Balance of Terror. That's
3: and right. sur- and I, it's funny, and Survivors was on, which was very exciting, because I had to sit and watch the whole thing, because I love, as we've discussed, love that episode. Okay, speaking of episodes we love, now it's about characters we love. Characters. You've been doing the right. 101 greatest Star Trek characters of all time. I'm sure there have been stuff that has made you very happy, some stuff that made you sad, and some stuff that made you really pissed off, like Howard Beale. But, uh... Howard Beale was us. not in Star Trek. Howard Beale was not in Star Trek. I, I, so I'm sure... I'm sure if you're still with us, you're not that angry. Or maybe you are and just want to see how we can infuriate you some more. Well, get ready because we've just begun to fight. So uh we return to the countdown with part five, episode five, <laughs> the transport strike back. Um, and this is uh number 49. Ashley, tell us where we begin with number 49 as we get into the top 50.
4: At number 49, um y- you know, i I can't think of a more exciting place to uh to begin uh this particular episode than Sick Bay with uh with a doctor. A doctor with with red hair who has a, a little bit of a thing for her captain. Um and Mabenga? a kid. Yeah, Mabenga. <laughs> a kid that we all want to choke. Uh, I am speaking <laughs> of, uh, Dr. Beverly Crusher. Tell Dr. Solar she can use
0: Ward 3 for the ambulatory patients, and I'll stay here. Transporter room 4 to sickbay.
2: They're coming in now.
0: Acknowledge. Stand clear and be ready. All right, let's go, let's go. Get awesome. What happened? The
5: Linarians attacked us outside of the conference room.
0: He's in cardiac arrest. Connect the pulmonary support unit. He's got internal hemorrhaging. The bioregulator of his artificial heart has been fused. He's got liver and spleen damage. What kind of weapon caused this?
2: A compressed terion beam.
0: 40 cc's anaprovaline. The activity in the isocortex is falling cortical stimulators. Now. Again. His respiratory system is shutting down. The levels in the isocortex are still falling.
4: Damn. Played by the lovely and talented uh, Gates McFadden on six of the seven seasons of The Next Generation, four of the four uh, Next Generation movies, and um, is apparently... Gonna be in the third season of the uh, card. Um, I mean, what can you say about Doctor Crusher except that she really digs uh, the uh, she she really digs um, gothic romance. Uh, you know, really digs uh, it. Uh, She really digs it to the point A- where candles. you know she. Yeah, on the holodeck, there are candles. There are things happening that um, it's going to be a difficult watch with the kids. Um, I'm just going to come out and, and say that right now. Um, but look, I, I think uh, that there's, you know, she went away for for a reason after the, the the first season. It's well,
3: no, I mean she went away for a reason. What was well, the reason? We, I mean, I mean, not in, in terms of the show. There really wasn't yes. a reason. In the show, yeah. there was not a reason. Yes. Yeah, in the, in the show.
1: Yeah, no, no,
4: no, no. I, but I think that, uh, that the and reason it's not why. not our she came, story to tell. No, it's not. But the reason why no, she came back. No, but you can, back, if you're interested, is, read
3: the 50 year mission where we will explain great. in great detail what happened.
4: But you know, the fact that she came back, I think, is um, it, it says something about uh, at least the the next generation and the tone of the next generation and kind of how that, that cast worked in her place in it. Um, because in second season, she was replaced by Dr. Pulaski, who is not what you call a fan favorite. Um, well,
3: people are going to be upset when they find out she's number 48.
4: Right, no kidding. Um, actually I actually kind of have a soft spot for Dr. Pulaski. She was cranky. I liked that. Um, but uh, but certainly, uh, Dr. Crusher felt more of a piece with uh, with the needs of, uh, of the next generation, kind of the role that that doctor was playing. The so, needs of the many. The needs of the many. The needs of the next generation outweigh the needs of uh Diana Muldaur or the one.
3: Rob, what do you think of uh Dr. Crusher?
5: You know, I thought that she was very underserved through the course of the series. I I I I, I think she was actually a much better actress. They did just they really she was very underwritten. And when she was giving thing given things to do, like in the episode Remember Me, the warp bubble episode. Right. I thought she really acquitted herself admirably. I mean, I really, I really enjoyed her presence. I, I just felt I, I did not like the fact that they never wrote her relationship with Wesley very well. Right. And I just thought the writers really didn't serve the same with LeVar Burton. I mean, people just didn't know what to do with her. However, when they did give her stuff to do, like in command of the Enterprise D in Descent Part Two. You know, or Descent Part One as well, or when she actually got to direct in the seventh season in Genesis. I mean, with Genesis, she, she, they could always do something with her. And, and she was, I thought, a great presence. And I really liked her character and I liked her performance. I just wish she would, was given more to do. Thankfully, Mark, she is given a lot more to do in, um, she actually opens the third season of Star Trek Picard. And she's given a um, a great role, and I think she's terrific in the part. Yeah, I think she's really been waiting for that for a long time because I, I think
3: the reason she's not higher on the list has nothing to do with Gates, who's always done a wonderful right. job with this role. It's because this character was underserved. If right. she had had more moments, like I think you mentioned, "Remember Me" with her mentor Galen Quinn, but um, the um, in all good things, you know, it was wonderful. Yeah. Uh, right. you know, she's wonderful, but that's the final episode. It's like, I, I, I vaguely recall interviewing her on the set of All Good Things, and her saying, you know, I wish they had written me like this the whole seven years, yeah. you know. Yeah. They finally gave me something to do, and of course, like you said, the actress, Gates, did a wonderful job directing um, uh, uh, Genesis, as well as um,
5: choreographing the dance scene in Data's Day. And right. also, you know, I, I really enjoyed her performance in... um is it the host when they yes. they uh interview they introduce the trill yeah the host right and um I really liked that episode a lot of course uh we're, we're introduced to the trill species she falls in love with o- odon yeah and then he his the male host is killed and it's replaced by a female host and she has that moment where she says the female host now says but I I can still love you and you know she says I can't you know, that was their first, they were, they were delving into same sex relationships as much as they could in the show. But she was really good in that. I, that was a, that was a heartbreaking moment where Rob she personally wanted a sequel to that episode very badly. Oh, we got him in Deep Space Nine. Deep yeah, but, but with, with Gates McFen Yes. Yeah. I just thought, um, I thought it was, uh, it was really well done and she was really great in that episode.
1: Uh, just a, a little bit about Gates McFadden herself. I mean, she, she was a very well established uh, choreographer before Next Generation. She was the choreographer for Labyrinth and did uh, some yep. amazing work there uh, back when she was known as Cheryl. She changed her name to Gates right before Next Generation uh, started. And, uh. That was her middle she, name. That's correct. Um, and uh, you know she's she's when given like we said when given something to do she's great and uh, yeah. per- personally she's great herself. So
3: and she was, remember um, the seventh season, which was really hit or miss, but they did attached, which was their defiant ones, where Picard and her are sort of, um, and that the, was a good episode. Like the and defiant they ones dealt with, um, you know, the <laughs> what I say? No, I, I just oh, said the oh, defiant oh, ones. Oh, ah, making a joke. I see. see? Yes. So. Um, String they finally the dealt with like the Picard Crusher relationship, which was interesting. Um, because it was something that was set up in the first season. And yeah, it, that they never really ignored. knew what to do with. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Was, okay. Yeah. Well, there you have Dr. Beverly Crusher coming in number forty nine. Forty eight, we're gonna take a leap from the next generation and go back in time, not in our DeLorean. But we're slingshotting around the sun to find at the navigation station. It's a pretty high leap because you have the bonus of an extra leg. Well, exactly. <laughs> and an extra arm, which can become <laughs> very handy oh my. for this next character. And, of course, we're talking about Mr. Erics. Mr. Erics.
2: Officer Scott, won't you join us for lunch?
6: No, thanks, Erics. I'm just going to grab a sandwich and get me back to work. Very good. One grilled cheese on right. <laughs> What the places. Hold it just a doggone minute. Add one sandwich, that's all. Somebody turn off this infernal food factory.
0: <laughs>
6: oh. <laughs> Excuse me
1: for laughing, but...
6: Go ahead and laugh. Big joke. I'll bet you two are responsible for this, eh? Hey, wait a minute.
2: We didn't cause this to happen.
6: Tell that to the captain. I'm reporting both of you just as soon as they... I... <laughs>
3: This was a character that was introduced in the animated series and strangely has never reappeared in Star Trek, uh, yeah. much to our consternation. Because of course, now with the advances in CG, um, it, it seemed like he would have been a natural to appear in the feature films or in a TV show, um, voiced by Jimmy Doan. <laughs> Shocking. Oh. Uh, Mr. X was a delightful character because he, I think he was we completely all. Alien. He was a completely alien. He was a dozian, was he not? Ed uh Ed, Edosian, right. He was a dozian. And so it was great to have a, a true alien on the bridge. But of course, Spock was Vulcan, but he was a humanoid. Mr. Ericks was not. And it just gave the um it was a really fun introduction for everybody but Walter Koenig uh in the animated series. Are there other mr Eric's fans here on the here uh, here on the episode well, I mean well, we I, were waiting
5: for you to yeah <laughs> I, I, I mean the thing about Mr Erics is he was fun but he didn't have a whole lot to do he never he never was given his own episode, you know where they could define him well
3: because Shatner kept taking all his lines <laughs> didn't you hear <laughs> that Mr. Erics is always complaining about how 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 shatner was
5: uh hogged his took his part he really I, thought, I he could I could have be-
1: been a captain. <laughs>
5: I did think it was kind of neat. I mean, obviously, one of the things they always wanted to do with the animated series was the things they couldn't do with the live-action series. And it was neat to see a true alien as a member of the bridge crew. You know, that yeah. was that was later utilized throughout Star Trek since then. But that was really the first time that you saw a real, you know, Mares and, and uh, Eric's were th- these non-humans that were... On the bridge. And I always thought that was so cool. I would have loved to have seen more of that.
4: And they had a beautiful
5: love story.
1: That's, well, no, they didn't. Come on. Only in your mind. In my mind. <laughs> now, how do you how do you think those episodes, like,
4: filled out a half hour? That's, I totally ship
3: Ashley R- Alex
1: <laughs> and rest That was his yeah, big it's, ship. Hell yeah, did. did. It's called Five Hands, Two Hearts i <laughs> love erics i love Erex because they only showed him from like two angles, and uh you know because he was he was uh very hard to draw so they tried not to draw him at all uh and uh but they did have him i think in that famous uh shot looking uh toward the view screen past the con they had him in that and i think they had you know the shot looking up at him um but I, I, I love the character. I was a little annoyed at it being always Jimmy doing, uh, cause, uh, you know, all Jimmy's, uh, amazing, uh, bunch of voices that he could do all sound like Jimmy doing. Um, <laughs> but that's fine because, you know, it, Eric's is an interesting character, but, um, yeah, I just found it great that they, you know, they even had a, a, a tailored shirt that fit him with an extra arm in front. And it's, you know, obviously they would, but, uh, when I was a kid, I thought that was really cool and I liked him a lot more than I did Chekhov. I'm sorry, Walter. I love it's the NBC the
3: catchphrase in space, everyone here sounds like you be doing. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, there you go. Mr. Eric's a delightful. uh um, it won't work, Captain Kirk. <laughs> <laughs> a delightful character that we have enjoyed for many years from the animated series. That you weren't expecting to see him on the countdown. And pretty high at that. Well, I'm so sure he'll get his own spin-off uh, any day now. Congrats, Mr. Ericks. Eric's
4: a
1: Star Trek story.
5: <laughs> <laughs> the autobiography
3: of... Somebody get Terry Metalis on the phone.
1: Someone redo the Andor opening with Erics on it. That's what I
3: want. <laughs> Nobody will know what it is. Who? What? I don't understand. I would redo the, the people Andor listening to this podcast Andor. don't know who that is. Uh, uh, well okay, number forty seven. Darren hit me in the 47. heart, hit me in the head, I won't stay dead. No, nor will any of us. Um look, the
1: Klingons are a, a great race of uh no, they're villains. They're not the. they're not antagonists, they're villains. Let's face it. They were created as villains, they were created as uh basically the representation of the uh the Axis powers. Uh, you know, um Marching on to uh, Organia. Um, and uh, there have been maybe three or four really great Klingons, and one of the last great Klingons on TOS was Kang. This
0: is Kang, Kang, there's something important I must discuss with you. I have
6: captured your engineering section. Will die suffocation in the icy cold of space. Uh... is It supports our battle and it our victory. Power. She has five seconds to live. He is a
3: victim of war, Captain. She understands. Who uh, uh, was uh, Dun, 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 dun. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> dun, dun,
1: dun dun was, dun, dun. was played by the great Michael and Sarah. Uh, husband to uh, uh, Barbara, Barbara Eden. Eden. Genie. Yeah. And, uh, look, uh, Michael Ansara was a great character a- actor in the, uh, 1960s. You couldn't, you couldn't switch channels without seeing him sometimes. Um, and, uh, you know, in, uh, in the episode, of what was the name of that episode, uh, Mark, the episode that, uh, he was in, uh, as Kang, what Day was of the name Dove. of that? Day of the Dove. Was it Day of the Dove? Yeah. Because <laughs> it, it was more than a day; it was several days of the dove. It
5: was a photo novel, bro.
1: That, yes, it was. Um, and, it was a uh, lost weekend of the dove. More than anything, <laughs> that's pretty much it. You know, if if uh, if the people on uh, on uh, uh, the the uh, the comb planet had the year of the red bird, then we could have the day of the dove, and so look this is the uh, famous episode where uh, 20 enterprise people and 20 klingons go after each other ad infinitum they stab each other they just come back they lop their heads off it's like they a white wedding
3: back.
1: yeah it's it's crazy um and it's all uh, it's all being stage managed by this alien pinwheel uh that uh, is, uh, looking off in the corner and uh doing all sorts of uh, strange things. We don't know what it's doing, but it's sitting up there getting energy from hate. And Kang is like so good. That doesn't even make sense. Kang is so good. Um, and and uh, he has pretty much uh, the most lines of any Klingon, I think.
3: He's
5: so uh, great. He's so oh, good.
1: He's he's so badass. He comes aboard the Enterprise, and uh, you know he's put into uh, confinement, and he takes over with his uh, band of merry uh, swarthy ears. Unless not forget he's got a great his voice. hot wife. Well, yes, yeah. of course, his hot wife Mara um, <sighs> is uh, is uh, great. And look, uh, just the the swagger that he has when he's talking over the communicator to Kirk. Uh, you know. You will die of suffocation. And you know, he's, he's just space. so great. Yeah. He's yeah. so great. I mean, and I mean, we great all laugh. learned,
3: uh, we all learned uh only a fool fights in a burning house. Yeah. That's correct. And that that's true, by the way.
5: And then he uh, leans on his sword, also spider man He looks sometimes. like he was just born to wield a blade.
1: He's so good. He's so daring. We should point out
3: that f- he came back. Well, we're going to, but I want to okay. finish talking about Dan's first. Then we'll get to Blood Oath. But I just want to say that Darren makes a really good point, which is that he says, um, you know, he was a real adversary for Kirk. He was the only one because William Campbell was a bit of a was dandy. A
1: com- he was a comedic. Advocate. Right. He, yeah. So
3: I love him. Don't get yeah, me wrong. Of course. Uh, in, in in Tribbles. And they, they wanted him back. No, they wanted John Calicos back for uh, as core, who right. also was a great antagonist. Yeah. But he... he uh, you, you, you it wasn't Kirk, a you, personal thing. It wasn't a personal thing. And you felt like Kirk could fucking kick his ass, right? Yeah. With Michael and Sarah, you felt he was Kirk's equal. If and, not I better. mean, even when he slaps him on the back at the end, yeah. And Kirk right. was like, like flying. Wait, and, and, <laughs> and, 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 and the whole, you know, the whole teaser where they get the jump on them and yeah. then, um, he hits the little red button on the communicator. And uh, they go tight on they, you know, keep them in the transporter. No right. existence. That's where they belong. That's right. But, uh, it's 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 a dopey third season episode, but but it's wonderfully dopey. I there. love it. I I love. I can watch that whenever it's on. It's it, and and a lot of that has to do with Michael and Sarah, yeah. who is just fantastic. And, and Jimmy Duan then transfer out freak. And and he's great in Batman the Animated Series as Mr. Freeze. Oh, yeah, I'm that's just gonna right. mention that. Yeah, he's fantastic. Great. He's great in Buck Rogers as Killer Kane after uh the
5: late um um citizen uh-huh. Henry Kane? Silva after uh-huh. Henry Silva. Henry
3: Silva. Yes. uh, uh, uh He's also great Henry-
5: in as John Singing Rock in William Girdler's nineteen seventy seven masterpiece, The Manitou. There that's you go. Funny. Yeah, dude. Okay, and now we
3: turn <laughs> we turn to you, Ash, because that was Tell not the only time he played Kang. Yes. Kang's Return. Uh, by the way, totally with
5: you on the Manitou. Um, Where's that remake? There's there's three I books. I know, right? Come on, but, guys, let's remake the Manitou. Uh Mike Lansara. You'd have to make it. Know, into notwithstanding, a woman,
4: too. Kang um is he's a blockbuster, man. It, Kor, Koloth, Kang. Those guys were all so well cast. They were also terrific. And Kang was just the baddest of the badasses. Just and don't when call they brought him, him the, back, don't call him the KKK. Time, Oh God! <laughs> they that would be back bad. onto Deep Space Nine for yep. Blood Oath uh, to go. Basically, it's like a man in a mission uh, story with Jedzia Dax, who's got a, a deep connection to the uh, the Klingons and the Klingon Empire and relationships uh, with all of these guys. Kang is he's not quite reimagined, but he's a little bit reimagined as as a is a Klingon who in his later life has achieved a sort of monk like. Um, focus and sense of control and commitment to his sense of honor. Um, he goes out like a boss in that episode. Uh, and he turns out that, you know, he's kind of a blockbuster. He's so cool that they actually bring him back again on Voyager for flashback. Although technically the scene that he's in takes place uh,
3: before what happens a Deep Space knight. It's Can not I as tell cool. you something? Yeah, I had no idea he was in Voyager. Yep, None. I am going to watch that episode tonight. What is it? Flashback. Oh, yeah. I did know he was in that. I hate that episode. <laughs> yeah, okay, me too. Never mind. Which <laughs> is why I didn't want to mention it, and yet I mentioned it.
4: But Blood Oath is effing awesome. It's it is awesome.
3: Uh, it's great. Yeah. Okay. Wow. Blood we Oath is Kang. great on Deep Space Nine. We do. We and love Gang. So Gang. Gang. <laughs> How great is it when, 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 I can't let this one go. When Kirk be, it does the internship beaming with Mara, yeah. and, you know, and, 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 Kang, you know, sees him and immediately is like, you brought a surprise. (laughs) And it's like, (laughs) uh, 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 uh. and he says, no, you have to listen to him. And it's like, and he's having none of it. He's like, great. They, 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 she brought me Kirk and now they are so screwed. Oh, it's so good. Okay. So that brings us number 46, 46, another giant, just like (laughs) the giants, but it's not, we're not talking about Harold Robbins. We're talking about an actual giant. Now we we already had Carl Struckin or Strucken or on striking Striking you know, I yeah. hardly know her. But um uh, Lady But, <laughs> but uh <laughs> But this is another giant. This is a, a great actor. Um he would return in and Gene Roddenberry's um Planet Earth. Planet Earth? No, the first one. Uh Genesis two. No, Planet Earth. Earth. But, of course, we all knew and loved him from the Adams family. And I'm talking about Ted Cassidy as Ruck.
0: Unlike you, we humans are full of unpredictable emotions that logic cannot solve.
6: Yes. Yes, it had been so long ago I had forgotten. The old ones here, the ones who made us, yes. Yes, it is still in my memory banks. It became necessary to destroy them. You are inconsistent, you cannot be programmed, you are inferior. And Corby? You came from the outside, you bring disorder here. The danger to you is Corby. I was programmed by Corby, I cannot harm him. The old ones programmed you too, but it became possible to destroy them. That was the equation. Uh. Existence! Survival must cancel out programming That's it, Rock, logic You can't protect someone who's trying to destroy you Rock, I would like You brought him among us You brought the inferior ones We had cleansed ourselves of them Now you bring the evil back
3: Rock. Rock, stop And I'm telling you, if Najin Tam is listening to this, he needs to be an X06 action figure. I demand it. I demand it. Are you listening? (laughs) Is the captain here? Is Is Ruck here? here? (laughs) (laughs) So Ruck, look, Ruck is great. We love Ted Cassidy. What The old ones, which is a concept that Robert Block um, had in his novels... Um, it was Lovecraftian um, reference. Uh, reference, and uh, he was built by the old ones. He's an android uh, that predates Roger Corby's androids, right? And uh, he's scary. He's absolutely phenomenal, and and he looks great. He's scary. He's sinister, and I uh, he, and he turns, sounds
1: like Ted Cassidy.
4: He sounds like Ted Cassidy, but not like Sean Cassidy, which would be crazy.
1: Wow. Just imagine Ted Cassidy singing uh, the uh, love theme to Star Trek, the motion picture. What would that sound like? <laughs> I don't know. And we'll never know.
5: Yeah. One will never know. <laughs> also, the design of his makeup, I mean, even though it, it really made good use of his own features, but yeah. it was really effective. A great costume, the design of that costume. and you know, I loved his performance, the look in his eye when he says, he kind of looks up in a way, the old ones, you know, and it, yeah. it, it was, the he really, he really us. felt like he was an artifact from this truly, it reminded mm-hmm. me of, of like, the, the same race that the, the Krell built.
3: Yeah.
5: Um, mm-hmm. Rook, you know, the That's few that escaped that Altair made it to Right.
3: What was In that early book. grouping of episodes that Gene Roddenberry was so intimately involved with that all owe a debt to Forbidden Planet. Because right. you really sense when Gene Kuhn comes on, and again, not to sing Kuhn's praises again, but it, tonally the show changes. Right. And, the, you know, if you really look at those first 13 uh, episodes, they have a very, a much more serious. And, Darker. Do- yeah, and darker, yeah, very right. much so. Uh, Tone opened up the vista a little bit. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But uh, you know, what are little girls made of? Is such an interesting, bizarre. I love that um, episode. episode. Yeah. You know, and Ruck is great. And when he real, when he suddenly realizes that he's no longer. That he you doesn't know, have he, to follow the instructions. He doesn't have, have to follow dude. the orders. That's the equation. Yeah. And he just lifts Kirk yeah. off, you know, <laughs> and throws him. <laughs> oh, my God. So great. And I thought well, they didn't even need
4: wires to help that.
5: Oh, no. Well, there's oh, no. also something. It's, it's not Ruck himself, but that episode, there was a lesson that has not been learned 40 or 55 years later, which is that no human being should ever find themselves turned into an android. Right, you know, the idea that you're you're put into a perfect android body and can live forever, right, makes you somewhat less than human,
1: mm-hmm. or a 93 though, year old android body, well, <laughs> right. uh, yes. Why would you even do that?
5: <laughs> but that's that's the that, and it's it's frustrating to see that you know, decades later, that nothing, nothing has been, been learned, learned. Yeah. from Roger Cor and, and you because think- if
3: Roger, if if, if Robert's going to make androids, they're all going to look like Jerry Jackson. They're not going right. to look like Patrick. In a ninety-three-year-old body. That's well, right. I mean, why?
5: If you could do that, why wouldn't you put yourself in a in a, a young, vibrant body? And I think that's right. that's yeah. when it comes to writing well, a story. The, they couldn't get Tom Hardy.
1: That's one of the great things about uh, I Mud because this takes that setup and says, "Well, what would Harry Mudd do if he had this technology?" <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah.
3: <laughs> and it's exactly what you would think, that's, and it's great. Yeah, that's very funny. Okay, that brings us to number 45. Rob, we're going to get lost in the Delta Quadrant
5: for a little bit. Well, you know, I, there's <laughs> this is kind of a weird trope that modern Star Trek brought us, which was the holographic person right. or civilization. And all the way back to, to Minuet 11001001, this idea that holographic people, which ultimately are just a computer anthropomorphized, uh, in light, I guess, the fact that this became a thing was uh, has always fascinated me. And then of course, it was only a matter of time, and that would be in 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 Voyager, that we get the EMH, the emergency medical hologram, the doctor, whose creator was Dr. Lewis Zimmerman, played by the great Robert Picardo.
4: All primary
0: systems have been rerouted to the bridge, including environmental control. It looks like there are hollow emitters on every deck. There are. Unlike you, I'm not condemned to a sickbay.
1: Get three canisters of Neurozine.
2: As a matter of record, I have free reign on Voyager. And I can even leave the ship as well. Leave your ship? How? My mobile emitter, a little piece of 29th century technology we obtained. Really? I'm as close to a sentient life form as any hologram could hope to be. I socialize with the crew, fraternize with aliens. I've even had sexual relations.
0: Sex? How's that possible? We're not equipped Let's just say I made an addition to my program. Before you leave, maybe you could download those subroutines into my database. We'll see.
5: And, you know, I always thought it was sort of interesting that they just didn't cast Robert Picardo as the doctor mm-hmm. and, and yeah. have him be a, a regular, just I mean... A, let him be I, a, a human. Yeah, I mean, I get it. And and I will say that one of my very favorite Star Trek episodes ever um, was Living Witness, <laughs> where where the, the, if you haven't seen live, I won't get into what Living Witness is about, but it's a delightful, very unexpected Star Trek episode that's very much off-brand, uh, but it's a lot of fun and uh, the the doctor has sort of an interesting fate in that episode. But, you know, it was it was very interesting because he... <laughs> it, it, what the show did was give itself a problem, which was, how does the doctor leave sickbay? And then they had to figure out, okay, well, we'll come up with a hollow emitter, you know, so then he can walk around and interact with the rest of the crew and, sure. and go on an away mission, you know, and, and all this stuff. And it just seemed like it seemed it was one of these things where so often in modern television they come up with all these great ideas for like a pilot, and then they realize down the line that this was a mistake it wasn't thought through right. and I think that the doctor because uh he's he's almost he's almost like a holographic doctor Pulaski and that he's cantankerous and he's he's a very fun i think he's a very fun character. I love Picardo as an actor, and the funny thing about it is when called upon he really does a good job of emoting as much as he can mm-hmm. um and i i i really like him he once he once said in an episode i'm something uh, of a renaissance emh and uh, i like this character you know and i think he does a great job playing it i thought he was a great addition to the voyager crew uh and again it was just another way for the writers to delve into this weird trope of holographic people that they kept bringing back time and again, which ultimately well, is sort of weird.
1: Just wait till season three of Star Trek Picardo.
5: <laughs> <laughs> you know,
3: it's funny because um, it seems every Star Trek show is looking for who's their Spock. Same way the movies are always who's our con, right? Right. And so, you know, Data clearly was the the, the, the Spock of, um, of, of next gen, Odo, in a way, but then it became worth yeah, kind of. in in Deep Space Nine. And Voyager, I think they thought it was going to be B'Elanna Doris, and it turns out that their Spock, is really the Doctor. And yeah. a lot of that had to do with Spock the fact that, as you said, Robert Picardo is fantastic. He is a curmudgeon, he is a great actor, Uh he launched into this role with Relish, and I remember watching that wonderful pilot to Caretaker, to Voyager, and thinking, oh My god, have they painted themselves in a corner with this character? Right. He's great, he's he, he's he. The probably the most life there is in the show is in this character, and he can't leave sick bay, but that's not gonna <laughs> last, right? <laughs> and it didn't, and it was really a lot to you know to 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 buy, you know, the buy in on that was kind of ridiculous. By the end of the show, I mean, he's singing, he's dancing, he can go anywhere. It's like the whole hollow deck thing is kind of nonsense. Um, but you know, the, the popularity of of his character is clear because even at first contact, he shows up as the MH. And I remember at the screening and it got huge yeah. laughs and applause and, and people, people absolutely loved it. And as you said, Living Witness may be, if not the greatest moment on Voyager, certainly one of them, one of the best episodes. Well, and he's at the center of that.
5: I think the fundamental problem that under underlines the maybe the underlying thing is then why aren't all starships crewed with holographic people? Mm-hmm. Why are actual human I'm beings on starships? But harsh, why are they on starships at all? I mean, if, essentially, you know, if you, of course, the the question being that if you need people to man starships, uh, it, rather than having them be fully automated it doesn't make any sense having a holographic doctor. And now, of course they've added in the subsequent animated series, like in prodigy, they've added other holographic. There's a command program, you know, uh, uh, Catherine Janeway is now a holographic command program. Why aren't the, why aren't there a whole crews of holographic? I mean, it makes little sense. At some point you You carry it out to that. Yeah, of course. But I mean, they do set you up for this, this idea and And if you wanted to have like, why aren't they building ships with holographic crew hmm. to send all over the galaxy? Well, like instead if you of generational could ships, build the ships with just holographic
4: crews to run them. You don't actually need the holographic crew. You can just send yeah. the ships out as drones as berserkers. Now, if Voyager had been like what I think deep in its heart, it wanted to be, which was more serialized. Right. It's like, you can see like, maybe there's a, an interesting way to deal with the the emergency medical hologram as a science fiction piece, where you find out why it's just supposed to be for emergencies, you know, and, and how do you, you know, deal with that program that kind of keeps running, that's not supposed to keep running or being challenged in ways it's not supposed to be challenged. And they, they kind of, you know, waved in the general direction of that every now and again on, um, on Voyager, but the truth of the matter is, you're right. Like, as it was ultimately expressed, it doesn't make a hell of a lot of sense. It, none at all. But you know what? Bob Cardo is great.
3: Yep.
5: And yeah, but, he's yeah, fun. Yeah, he is. Yeah.
4: yeah. And
3: he's conceptually screwed, life, too. but good character. Was, you, you, you worked with him, right? I mean, he's just a delight.
5: It's funny because he came from like Joe Dante's school of... of Yeah, well, Roger
1: Roger Corman uh, people.
5: Yeah, and all that. I mean, they used him a lot. And I remember seeing him as the serial killer in The Howling when he sticks his finger and he pulls the bullet out of his forehead. I want a piece of you in my mind. And he's a total
3: total pro. Love Picardo. And uh, at the end of the day, he's a great character, believe it or not. Okay, so uh, an incidental pick from... Tarrant document at number 44.
1: I don't think this is very incidental because uh it it is from one of the uh one of the better episodes of uh, the third season of TOS and uh this character is sort of like a double-edged sword. Uh on one side, she is the first female starship commander in Star Trek. Um and the other side of the sword is that they didn't give her a name.
4: That's a Klingon ship
0: Your ship is surrounded, Captain You board this ship, I'll blow it up I must see your authorization Over
6: there, sir
5: Accept what is happening between
6: us I cannot allow the Captain to be further destroyed I say now Captain Kirk ordered the Enterprise across the neutral zone on his own initiative and his craving for glory. That's a lie. He is not sane. You
0: lie! Until. You
6: will take a small band of Romulans aboard the Enterprise
0: as its commander. By your own
6: standards of normality, this man is not fully competent.
0: No, not now. The doctor has now confirmed your testimony.
6: Instinctively used the Vulcan death grip. Your
2: instincts are still good. The captain is dead.
1: Um, they 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 use the crutch of uh, she whispers it to Spock in the Enterprise incident, and uh, it's it's kind of a cop out because she's only listed as female Romulan commander, uh, and it's it's really the FRC, annoying. yeah, really annoying. Uh, you know. Uh, but we didn't know the name of Mark Leonard's commander either. Yeah, he was the That's male true. Romulan
4: commander in Balter. We
1: we should have. Uh,
4: he but whispered it in. Um, somebody's that ear.
3: Centurions
4: here. In yeah. Oh my. <laughs> <laughs>
3: uh,
1: Whoa. Oh my. Sorry. <laughs> uh, but uh, look, the uh, the story of uh, Enterprise incident is uh, really fascinating. Dun um, dun dun dun. Yes. Uh, and Joanne Linville, who plays the Romulan commander, is lovely, smart, cunning, but she has the uh, limitation of uh, falling in love for Mr. Spock, like so many people do. Um, but, uh, she's great. You know, the, uh, I don't know if the whole plan had always included her specifically. Uh, to steal the cloaking device. Um, if so, it's kind of, uh, it's kind of a sexist plan, uh, because they were sort of counting on Spock to, uh,
3: sort of destroy. Seducer. Yeah. He was the honeypot. That's ooh, <laughs>
1: the honey Spock. Um, <laughs> but, uh, look, it's, uh, it's an interesting, it's an interesting episode uh it's a little bit uh overdrawn when they deal with the vulcan death grip and uh i'll and kill the, you i'll kill you <laughs> and the the big switcheroo when uh, kirk gets the pointed ears um but uh it's fun it's uh it's star trek espionage uh they steal the uh, m5 unit or the uh, cloaking device and uh it's uh it's a lot of fun and i i remember uh, dorothy fontana um Talking about this episode, of course, she uh, was one of the main writers on it, and uh, she was really pissed off that the uh, cloaking device itself was huge because she had been uh, she had wanted it to be sort of like handheld so that he could walk through the walk through the ship and not As be noticed. But like... but instead, he's running around with this big football shaped <laughs> thing and and uh, and uh, looking like uh, you know an idiot.
3: Basically. If only it could be cloaked exactly. <laughs>
1: Uh, so she was a little uh, upset about that, but you know what? It doesn't matter. The episode works fine, and it's really fun watching uh, Shatner uh, going around in the Spock outfit and the, uh, and the Romulan gear. And uh, I love the, the episode, the ears I really brought brought Joanne out I'm sorry, Lashley. I couldn't hear what you were saying. You were speaking over me. <laughs> sorry. <laughs> Try to get it so I said it, the
3: sideburns brought out his, his ears. Ah, uh, yes. <laughs> it's such a fun episode. It has a great score. It has, um, uh, you know, obviously we, that's where we introduced the, the, the Romulans are now using ships of Klingon design. That's because right. Because they no longer the they lost the Romulan, the Romulan ships. They lost the Romulan ships, so they're using Klingon ships, which of course retconned the whole. Oh, now there's a Klingon-Romulan yeah. alliance. The Russians and the Chinese are working together. Which brought and, us Star uh, Trek three. And it's so interesting because this is definitely a show of its time. It had been very influenced by the Pueblo incident where That's right. the uh, North Koreans had captured an American uh, ship, the, Pueblo, the USS Pueblo. Um, also, uh, you know, during the Cold War, there was a and, and certainly World War II, there was a lot of these honey traps with, um, so oh I, I wonder if indeed that was the idea that Spock was supposed to seduce the Roman Commander. I hope not, because I yeah. think if, if there's a weak spot to the episode, She's so capable and so competent and so smart, you know, and, 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 you know, I buy the whole thing. I understand Vulcan's never lie. No, we can't, you know, and, you know, Captain Kirk has not been himself. And when he's doing the whole, I mean, it's great because this is Shatner at his over the top, but it's, it's like for a reason, it's It's so great. Oh, he's I mean, he's just eating the scenery, but it's it's tasty. The scenery is tasty. <laughs> he is, I mean, it's that from the beginning of the episode where he's getting pissed at everyone, and then you know, when he starts loses it, um, you believe it because you gotta go back to the first time you watched this episode many years ago. Like yeah. now we've seen it a million times, but what was it like to see Captain Kirk acting like that? You didn't know he was, was like great. undercover. Yeah, I, I mean, you were like Scotty and everybody else. when did they give the order to go into the neutral zone? Holy mackerel! Why does Kirk's in It so uh, maybe he's an, an alien or an android.
5: Uh, but you know, um, the thing about this episode too, though, the reason that I always liked it, and even as a kid, I liked the fact that it showed the duality of her, mm-hmm. and the fact that she was a strong, very capable commander and knew what she was doing. And I felt that, you know, she recognized in Spock somebody who was probably even more capable. She recognized a kindred spirit, but cap- more capable of than her own officers. Like mm-hmm. she saw in him true excellence and and somebody that she was probably at the same time bewitched by him romantically. But also, I, I think she had designs in the sense that we could we could. I could be the next Praetor with you by my yeah, side. That's correct. You, you know, and 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 so it wasn't just, mm. she wasn't just swooning over him. I mean, she was, but she really believed, I think that she believed that he was the most extraordinary man she had come across. Right. And she was thinking about all the, if I could just bridge the Federation and the Romulans and what I, could, what I could accomplish with you by my side. And she turned on the charm as much as she could, but she was not aware because the Vulcans and the Romulans didn't know much about one another, right? you know, at this point. I mean, they were probably trading on the Romulans were as they were trading ship designs with the Klingons. They were trying to find out as much as they could, but I'm sure that she didn't know enough about Vulcan civilization to realize that he was completely impervious to what she was turning on there.
1: And it brings up an interesting thing that uh, it seems like the Romulans are a little bit jealous about the Vulcans, Uh, that, uh, you know, the Vulcans sort of uh, advanced into this... uh, you know, peaceful, uh, prosperous society. And the Romulans were always the uh, sort of redheaded stepchildren, uh, that had uh, left years ago. And, uh, it's, uh, it's, it's almost, uh, it's almost uh, brought, brought forth in the costume design, even though we know the real reasons why they wear those helmets to cover mm-hmm. their ears because they didn't want to make more ears. Um, but it could be traced to the Romulans being Embarrassed of their Vulcan heritage. Mm-hmm. And they're covering up that that can make them look like Vulcans. So it's an interesting thing that uh, I, I really love.
5: And I also have to say, I mean, looking back on it now, I don't know how popular this comment's going to be, but I liked that they picked an actress that she had a, her beauty was not so, I guess, call it California. Yeah, mm-hmm. it, it, beauty, wasn't, her- it wasn't surface. No, her, her beauty was much more aristocratic, Yeah, you know, and I, I I could definitely, even the way she spoke, and there was just, and when I was a kid, yeah, did I like the, the hubba hubba women, but uh, she was one of my favorites because she was dangerous, and she was also incredibly feminine, and, and she could do that, both at the same time. You knew and she knew she back she know what
1: she was doing.
5: Yes, and she knew what she was doing the whole time. Yeah. She was not just, oh, Spock. Yeah. like she was trying to make him an offer. Like she was coming in hard. If she had, if he was, a, she was a CEO. She would have dropped some big fat check. Here's your signing bonus, buddy. Yeah. Well, you know it's so because it's so great when they're
3: tangling over what's going to happen with the Enterprise. It's a great scene for Jimmy Doheny, and he's, you know when yeah. when she tells makes her demands and he says, you know, I'm not doing anything unless I get orders from the captain of the Enterprise. And, uh, and, and, you know, she's just like blows it off. Like she knew he was going to say that and it's fine. But, you know, this is a huge coup for her. And she yeah. knows with Spock at her side, she's going to be bringing the enterprise, the flagship to Romulus. Right. And her stock is going to go up. So I think what you said earlier, Rob, makes a lot of sense to me. It's like, you know, from the political machinations for her to have Spock. You know, as her ally and potentially her consort would be a huge coup for her ultimately in terms of ach- yeah. achieving power.
5: And she in the says, empire.
1: You are not unknown to us.
5: Yeah. Yeah. yeah so and geez. another thing, yeah. And also, I, I mean, I do think that she was probably able to seduce whoever she wanted because yeah. she was the alpha of yeah. whatever circle she traveled in back in the home, uh, in the homeland.
3: Right. Yeah. Well, she certainly wasn't going to. Um, have uh, any dalliance with that number two, that subcommander <laughs> tall. Yeah, number two was not number
5: one. <laughs> By the way, I got to say, I mean, being that I'm the Star Trek book reader, uh, Diane Duane I was going
1: to ask you about this.
5: Yeah, brought her back in an excellent Star Trek novel called My Enemy, My Ally. Right. That led to Diane Duane writing a whole series of books about the Romulans. And she, you know, she renamed the Romulans, their own name for themselves was the Ruhansu right and and you know we call them fraudulent it was an earth thing yeah. but they're called the rahansu to themselves so did, i did she was, actually
1: give this character a name
5: you know what i think she did and I, you know i, I read this remember. book i yeah i don't remember but i do think that
4: they maintained the whole idea of that the name is a, is a protected thing and by the way glorious Trexperts fans if you go back to like you know your uh, your desert island treks that very special episode um my very first pick, yes. I
5: believe, uh, well, was, Miami, was "My Ally." It was, yeah, yeah, I remember that. Uh, yeah. They did give her a name, did they? And um, it was it was Myrtle. Because I tried to look it up and I couldn't find it. Um,
1: but that's all right.
5: Uh, hang on, I'll find it. Uh, I mean, Spock has that great line where he, you know he says, "Oh,
3: you know, what's your first name, Spock?" And he said you couldn't pronounce it,
1: right? And, it, you know, not to be confused, uh, with the, uh, uh galaxy quest episode, uh, enemy
3: friend, enemy foe. Yeah. <laughs> Cause it's something completely different. <laughs> completely different. Okay. Well, oh my, number 43 is oh my. Ashley Edward Miller. Number 43. Um, okay. So, uh,
4: I'm going to, I'm going to try, try to make this, Mr. make this Miller. personal in a good way. So, um, I don't have a lot of autographs from uh, from Star Trek actors. I think I have two. Uh, one of them is Nana Visitor because yeah. Nana Visitor. And the other one uh, is the actor who played number 43, uh, George Takei, uh, who played uh, uh, ultimately Captain Sulu. Captain, am I correct in assuming that you have decided to embark on a rescue mission? That's right. Do you have a
0: problem with that ensign? I do. It is a direct violation of our orders from Starfleet Command,
2: and it could precipitate an armed conflict between the Klingon Empire and the Federation. Objection noted. Resume your station. Sir, as a Starfleet officer, it is my duty
0: to formally protest. Tuvok! A pretty bold statement for an ensign, with only two months space duty under his belt. I am aware of my limited experience but I'm also very much aware of Starfleet regulations
2: and my obligation to carry them out.
0: That's enough. Ensign, you're relieved. I'm sorry about this, Captain. I assure you it will not happen again. Ensign, you're absolutely right. But you're also absolutely wrong. You'll find that more happens at the bridge of a starship than just carrying out orders and observing regulations. There is a sense of loyalty to the men and women you serve with. A sense of family. Those two men on trial, I served with them for a long time. I owe them my life a dozen times over, and right now they're in trouble, and I'm going to help them. Let the regulations be damned. Sir, that is the most illogical line
4: of reasoning. You better believe it. Helm, engage. Sure. Captain of the USS Excelsior, um, uh, which was named after Stan Lee's favorite word. That's right. Uh, and, uh, you know, but before that, he served hmm. aboard the USS Enterprise
1: for was a named very long after time. the motto of New York City. <laughs> I'm sorry, what? Excelsior is the motto it, of New really? York. Is it really? Yeah. That's amazing I did not know
4: that. See, now you filled in this gap in my knowledge. Why does Stanley say Excelsior? And it's not because he's a Star Trek fan. Uh-huh. Um I think Sulu began as a botanist. Uh yes. and then he kind of became the helmsman. Um I he know. was into fencing. Uh you know, he's he was lots like things. lots of fun in uh on Shore leave. That was always a good time. Mm-hmm. He liked antique um, weapons. He did, you know, nobody enjoyed taking his shirt off except for Captain Kirk more than Sulu did. Uh, he sweated up real good. Um, and you know, look, he, he like, he, he made a place for himself as a, as a character. He was always fun to like to listen to that voice. And, uh, you know, it's, he's, look, he's, he's one of the, he's one of the big seven. He's one of, like, you know, the the original cast that, like, that we all, like, we love and revere and and adore. He's one you know. of the final five. He's one of the final five, guys. <laughs>
3: exactly. And he has He's a plan. Of of and he um, does have a plan, and there are many you know, copies. There, there's a lot, that, you know, people talk about representation these days, and it's hard to understate the importance of Sulu to Asians and Ameri- Americans seeing him on the bridge mm-hmm. in 1966. And... uh you know look he thought he was a star or thinks he he was, he was one of the stars started um i i thought there were three stars shatner nimoy and uh and and, and d kelly um but i i love seeing Sulu on the bridge absolutely I, I thought he was a very interesting character i like when he would get command uh i thought he had some interesting storylines i thought he was uh, did a great job in the part i thought it was Regrettable that he left, uh, <laughs> during the, uh, second season to go shoot the Green Berets, which nobody remembers. And he missed out on some of the best episodes of Star Trek that he would have been in yeah. and then was jealous of Walter Koenig. Uh, uh, but it was his fault that he left. Um, but, uh, but you know, uh, there's no, um, taken away that, you know, uh, if, if there's a Mount Rushmore, uh, of, um, Star Trek characters, then he is definitely in the parking lot. Like really close to Mount Rushmore. Really close. <laughs> yeah. Like you know, the priority parking, like not off <laughs> far in the distance. He's like right there by Mount Rushmore, sitting that, there in the car, like, like almost on the mountain.
4: And that voice, like, I mean, look, when he, when he gets to be captain in Star Trek six, I like him. He gets to say cool shit like "Flyer, her apart then. You know, <laughs>
1: yeah. I mean, come on, but he was hardly in the movie. And yeah, that's yeah, why but he got that's to that's say he's relatively low on this list. Surely not. I mean, because he chose to get promoted.
4: Yes, exactly.
3: <laughs> I mean, <missed laughs> yeah, yeah, then he found him. out why that was a bad idea. It's what Bill used to say, that's I, I, how he would say, "I don't understand why I want to be captain," then he wouldn't be in the movies anymore. <laughs> he wanted to get promoted out of the films. That made no sense to me. <laughs> they don't and mean, you know what though?
5: Shatner gave uh, George Takei one of his great funny moments of all time in Star Trek V. When a Klingon walks by, and they turn and they walk after her, she has wonderful muscles. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, he actually, you know, look, we, we're not fans of Star Trek Three. He's quite
3: delightful in Star yeah, Trek Three. He is in a great tiny. moments. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, and, and, and he is in so many great moments in Star Trek, but they're moments.
5: Right. He's a no. moment player. <laughs> look, I mean, what's what's again. His performance in Mirror Mirror shows that he could have been doing so many different things on the mm-hmm. show that he was yeah. woefully underused. I, I don't know that he was underused because it was a star vehicle. It wasn't yeah. an
3: ensemble drama. Well,
5: that's yeah, that's it's true. But, but I mean, it wasn't that the show was structured. Yeah, they could have. Yeah, that's very true. But I mean, it, he certainly.
3: But he's a fine he, actor, and he's been good in other 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 things. He was uh, good in heroes.
1: You know, you know, fellows. In uh, Japan, the show is called "The Adventures of the Great Captain Sulu."
4: <laughs>
1: <laughs> he does a lot of voice work, actually. Yep. Um, How come you didn't
3: have him on your show?
4: Uh, you know what? It's like uh, I, I I tried to cast every Star Trek actor I could get my hands on, but eventually I just ran out of. We want like
1: every Star Trek actor that. We can yeah.
3: get. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, he does. He's such a great voiceover actor. I mean, you've seen him in a bunch of stuff, and you know, he's 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 terrific. Well, he has such a distinctive voice. Yeah. 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 Well, look, we we look, we, we, I'm sure people would be like, oh man, why are they bashing on George? We're not. We're we not. love Sulu. We absolutely we love, we love Sulu. Sulu. We really do. Yeah. And um <laughs> it's just that, you know, uh he he's a member of the bridge crew and a valued member of the bridge crew at that. And uh, we love seeing him. He's a great part of the show. And uh, Mr. Kyle wasn't angry that he didn't get promoted. And you see what happened to him. Yeah, that begs the question: Are we going to see Mr. Kyle? Will you see Mr. Leslie on this list? I don't
1: know. <laughs>
4: I'll bet that's you credit. Credit to Davey Beans. We
3: won't. <laughs> um, well, that, okay, that's not I'll Mr. take Leslie. you home,
4: Kathleen. No, I know. <laughs> I know that's
3: Mr. Um,
4: that's the uh-huh. it? Yeah, but he's in two episodes. He's, he's in Conscience of the King, That's and right. he's in uh, Amount of Time. Not Amount Time. What the fuck's wrong the naked, the naked tri- me? Na- the, the, the Naked Time. The, the naked, naked Time. time. Naked
5: Thank you. Time. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> I yeah. want to take a naked
3: trip. Naked and Afraid. Anytime can be time if you play your cards right. <laughs> okay, well, that brings us now. We're gonna we're gonna zip back to the Delta Quadrant, number forty-two, with Robert Meyer Burnett.
5: Well, this uh, this this uh, new this character is a lovely little girl named Annika, and she was born at the Tandara Colony to her eccentric Federation exobiologist parents, Magnus and Aaron Hans. And uh, of course, I'm speaking of. Annika Hansen of or aka Seven of Nine. No.
0: Your decision is tactically unsound. We will be surrounded by Hirogen ships in approximately two hours. If we do not surrender the creature, they will destroy us. A lesson in compassion will do me little good if I am dead. It is wrong to sacrifice another being to save our own lives. I have observed that you have been willing to sacrifice your own life to save the lives of your crew. Yes, but that's different. That was my choice. This creature does not have a choice. It invaded our ship. Put our lives at risk to save its own. In my view, it has already forfeited its freedom. I'm giving you an order. Report to Deflector Control and begin working on creating a singularity. I will not comply. I have agreed to remain on Voyager. I have agreed to function as a member of your crew. But I will not be a willing participant in my own destruction or the destruction of this ship. Objection noted. We'll do this without you. You will fail. And you have just crossed the line. End of debate. Report to the cargo bay and remain there until this is over. Is that understood?
5: Um, in, in in Conception, I, I I have a love-hate relationship with this character one i think it was morally and ethically bankrupt <laughs> that they created this character in the first place because uh, she was she was put on the show let's face it for tna that's that's really what they needed to do and they wanted to capitalize on the popularity of the borg they wanted to bring on a hot chick because they tried to bolster the ratings of voyager which were not what were hoped so they attached they attacked the problem from every uh, way possible, which I thought it seemed pandering uh, in the fourth season of Voyager when they did it. However, that said, they cast an incredible, I thought, an incredible actress named Jerry Ryan who brought the same kind of conviction to the part and gave us a portrayal that was as good as Jolene Blaylock as a Vulcan in in Enterprise. I thought that Jerry Ryan did uh, an admirable job portraying what could have been a thankless role, and she knew what she was getting into, sort of. Mm-hmm. Um, and while I think that her addition to Voyager and making the Borg so front and center ultimately just further weakened them as any kind of adversaries, again, as Mark said earlier, uh, another attempt to create a Spock you know, if it if they didn't have it in Blanca Torres and they didn't have it in the doctor, they certainly were going to have it in Seven of Nine. And she was able to transcend the cat suits that they wrapped her in, and she was able to transcend all of the the Borg uh, Borg of it all to turn her into a sort of tragic, interesting, uh, compelling character that you, I think, all audiences really came around and. She was definitely one of the most beloved characters on the show, and I thought, I, I thought she was whatever she was given to do. She acquitted herself with aplomb. She was amazing. I thought
4: she was. Um, I, I think she definitely elevated the show when she came aboard. I mean, there's this this concept like when you go out and you, you shop for a diamond, like they put the diamond on black velvet, right? As a contrast enhancer, you can see the quality of the diamond. I think that. um you know when they talk about having their Spock on the show, like what they're really looking for is that contrast enhancer, yeah. right? And seven of nine played that role when she when she came aboard Voyager. Suddenly it it sharpened a lot of the conflicts that were kind of uh inchoate and fuzzy uh, among the crew, right? All the things that were asserted about like oh we have Starfleet and Maquis, except none of that fucking matters. Yeah, you know, but when you take Seven of Nine, who's a Borg, who has a completely different moral point of view on, on everything, and you put her on that bridge, and you put her in the position that she's in, you know, suddenly the conflict feels real. And it doesn't feel like something that can just go away in time because everybody is basically the same thing and kind of basically on the same side. It's it's ridiculous to me that they ever thought Bolana Torres could fill that role. I don't even know what they were smoking when they thought that could happen. But uh I think that that seven of nine seven of nine definitely did. All of like the objections notwithstanding that I think are right on about how uh, it undermined the Borg as an adversary an adversary. But uh but she was great.
3: I think adding a Klingon Character and making the Klingons the focus of the Next Generation really deepened that show in a profound way. And Deep Space Nine it was the Cardassians by exploring that culture and dealing with Dukat. And I think less successfully, uh, Voyager plumbed the 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 um, the Borg because the Borg, as we've talked about ad nauseum, were relentless and um, deadly. And the more we got to, to to understand them, the more we 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 won. The more we encountered them and and survived, the less successful they became as a race or as a, a Star Trek uh, um culture. But as everyone has said, Jerry Ryan was sensational. She came to play. She had a particularly thankless role. This is the age of the Laddie books and Maxim magazine. We all know why she was there and what she was there to do. And she took this role and just elevated it and made it something really special. And uh, ultimately, um, you know, she came back for some of the newer shows. You know, and I would certainly say she's probably one of the more um, appealing elements of uh, the more recent forays into uh, Trektum. Um but uh but a very interesting uh character and and certainly uh, Voyager's um answer to Spock. And while you know she is she's no Spock, I am not Spock, um <laughs> it is a very, you know, um interesting and provocative character that helped Voyager to focus on some more ethical and moral questions that it hadn't really dealt with, you know, in those
5: early seasons.
1: And she'll make a great action figure.
5: And she's she's coming. She is coming shortly. Yeah, and she's a terrific actor. I mean, she's been in a bunch of other stuff since. Yeah. And uh um
3: and 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 she's uh and she's great. So uh seven of Mine, really interesting character. Um and it'll be uh interesting to see what uh uh Mr. Terry Metalis does with her in the third season. It's one of the only elements of uh, Picard that's uh coming back uh, in the
5: third season. Um, Anything you want to share about that, Rob? She's quite good. Uh, You meet her in the first episode. She's now the first officer somewhere. I won't say where, but she is. Um, And I mean, they've said that already, so it's not a spoiler. Uh, But it's, um, she was great. And I, you know, it's interesting to me because I always thought, I know why they made her a Borg but if they had made her, if they'd made her an original creation, like of some race where she had suffered trauma and they she was rescued or something, it might have been it might have been different because they kept humanizing the Borg mm. through her. And the Borg aren't there's no humanizing them. There's, there's they're not a. They kept trying to make the Borg into a civilization, and they weren't right. And that's what it was so odd to me. I'm like, these are not. This is not a civilization. This is what would happen if a swarm of Military drones that had AI behind them took over meat sacks like us to further their goals, and they, their goals were just random programming or something. But um, in the in the in the show, they they she's more. I think they took her really in the very wrong direction in Picard, and Terry Metalis in in season three goes a long way toward bringing the character back to where they should have been.
4: Mm-hmm. Now, Rob, what you call a meat sack? i call an ugly
3: bag of mostly water yes <laughs> um that brings us to number 41 number 41 the boy genius yeah. and uh of course this i'm talking about the role of richard daystrom the m5 is not responding It's talking to me i am most impressed with the technology
6: Captain. dr daystrom has created a mirror image of his own mind consideration of all
2: programming is that we must survive we will survive, nothing can hurt you, I gave you that, if you are great, I am great, twenty years of groping to prove the things i had done before were not accidents, seminars and lectures to rows of fools who couldn't begin to understand my systems, colleagues, colleagues laughing behind my back at the boy wonder. Becoming famous, building on my work. Building on my work. Jimmy's on the edge of a nervous breakdown, if
0: not insanity. The M5 must be destroyed.
2: Destroy it, Gert. No. We're invincible. Look what we've done. Your mighty starships, more toys to be crushed
3: as we tour. Played by the great William Marshall, aka Blackula. Blackula. Or yeah. as they said in the trailers, Dracula's soul brother. But um, <laughs> by the great great uh, And and the King of Cartoons. And the King of Cartoons. Because again, we talk about great voices. If yeah. anyone on this list can give Percy Rodriguez and George and, and oh, Decay yeah. a run for their money, it's William Marshall. And he is so great as as, as, uh, Richard Daystrom. And again, you know, all the documentaries, all the articles, all the – you know, you talk about, oh, you know, Nichelle Nichols was pioneering – on, you know, for for African-Americans on, you know, black and white and in, in the faces in uh, Let That Be Your Last Battlefield. What they don't talk about, which yeah. was equally important, which Ande talked about a little on this episode, seeing Percy Rodriguez as Kirk's boss, yeah. who's an African, you know, commander's... Uh, and he commanded Spone. a whole star base. And then yeah. here... The 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 Elon Musk, the Jeff Bezos, the the most brilliant scientist in the Federation, yeah. the master of all things STEM, who had yeah, designed, was crazy,
1: who designed all <laughs> the computers on board the Was an African
3: American man, Richard Daystrom, yep. who they would ultimately build, you know, b- tribute to, you know, the institutes, the, the, the inst the uh, the isolinear chips that power the Enterprise are his creation. Um, but you know what. It's not that matters because the ultimate computer is a great episode, and what a great character trying to live up to, you know, his success. You know, he's Orson Welles. He's Orson. I was just (laughs) gonna say that he's Orson Welles. (laughs) He's trying to live up to Citizen Kane. Yeah, he's off making The Stranger. You know, I mean, he's doing Confidential Agent, and uh, he's doing the Muppet Movie. But, (laughs) but the thing is. You know he he can't do, and he's so desperate, and he takes this huge risk, um, and and it doesn't pay off. But um, how great is it? Because he's so powerful in the episode, and at first you're like, man, this guy he carries himself with such gravity, and by the end that breakdown it gets yeah. you every time. It's building a so by work, laughing at the boy genius behind his back. I mean, so good,
1: so good. It's so great, and he's you know he he's able to talk down to Spock. Yeah. Which is uh, which is great, um, and he, and and he does this with with such uh, aplomb and uh, it, just throwing it off as if it's
3: nothing, because he's he's been the he's always been the smartest person in the room. But how great must it have been to be watching this as a young uh, or even an older you know African American at the time who's only seen blacks on television as maids and butlers yeah. to see the most brilliant man in the universe. You know, is a very, very powerful. You know, uh, uh, you know, uh, black and then man. see him go insane. Yeah, but okay, but that was because he was the boy genius. That's true. So, but also, uh,
5: I mean, the way he spoke. He, yeah, I'd never even as a kid. I love this episode because I loved this character. I it's loved sh- him when he came on the ship. It's a Shakespearean tragedy. It's a Shakespearean tragedy, and his voice. Was something out of time. I, I'd never heard a, a voice like this before, and I, I loved hearing him speak. You yeah. know, and 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 it's it's really interesting because when you watch the episode go along, when even when the M five blows up a cargo ship, yeah. he's still trying to. He's still sticking up for the. M5. Yeah, yeah, yeah,
3: and you know what is a testament to well, we, we, we we talk a lot about the genius of Gene Roddenberry and Gene Kuhn and Michael Piller and DC. And all the, all these amazing people. We very rarely talk about John Meredith Lucas. And not only did he write this, but he directed it. And, uh, this was under his watch, you know, the end of second season after Gene Kuhn left. And, you know, John Meredith Lucas did some great episodes and Ultimate Computer is freaking great. Yeah.
5: And by the way, this episode has become more relevant today than mm -hmm. maybe it was when it came out in the 60s. About AI, the dangers of AI, absolutely. And also being people being replaced by automation, which is something that happened to Kirk, you know. Right. My regards to Captain Dunzel. I remember as a kid going, Oh man. What a burden. And when you you finally find out what Captain Dunzel is, it's like, oh Oh, yeah, that hurts. This is why
1: we don't have ships filled with holographic people. I just can't believe
3: that Barry Russo got promoted so quickly from the devil in the dark (laughs) to a Commodore on... (laughs) But how Um, how great is a kid when, I mean, even though it's just this optical printer shot, but when you see the Enterprise up against four starships, it's like, oh man, they're so screwed!
1: <laughs> it's, it's so good. And, uh, just e- even the little button thing that they added to the captain's chair is just magical. And, uh, it made you believe that the, uh, that the Enterprise was in M5's
3: control. Yeah, Totally. Totally. Okay. Fantastic episode, which brings us to you, Darren. And yes. once again, it's a TOS D- D- Deep Space Nine doubleheader. And once
1: again, um, it's a character that was, that played another character. Uh, it's a, it's a, this actor played another character as well. And uh, it's from uh, one of, of course, uh, everyone's favorite episode, The Trouble with Tribbles. And it has our uh, main uh, Klingon antagonist, my dear Captain Koloth.
0: Ah, my dear Captain Kirk. My dear Captain Koloth, Let me assure you that my intentions are peaceful. As I've already told Mr. Lurie, the purpose of my presence here is to invoke... Surely, writes. Surely, Captain, we Klingons are not as luxury-minded as you Earthers. We do not equip our ships with... How shall I say it? <laughs> Non-essentials. We have been in space for five months. And What we choose as recreation is our own business. I might also add that under the terms of the Organian Peace Treaty, you cannot refuse us. Yes, well, I don't make those decisions... Mr. Lurie is in charge of those matters.
6: Captain, may I speak to him? Kurt, I don't want them here, but I don't have the authority to refuse.
0: Hmm. Well, I have the authority to act. I'm going to use it. My dear Captain Koloff, you may indeed bring your men down on Shawley, with only 12 at a time. And I assure you that for every man you bring down here, I shall have one security guard. There'll be no trouble. Captain Kirk There's been no formal declaration of hostilities Between our two respective governments So naturally Our relationship Will be a peaceful one Let us both take steps To keep it that way
1: And uh, he's played with great aplomb by, of course, the great William Campbell, uh, who uh, is great. And he, he's, he's bigger than life. He's almost as uh, uh, scene-chewing as, uh, as Shatner is. But he loves this role. And uh, he almost plays it as, uh, as wide as he did uh, his uh, earlier episode uh, Trelane um but man William Campbell is is sort of threatening as a klingon sure. um, and, and but he also sort of is on Kirk's level you know uh and uh, uh my dear captain Kirk he's he's so big and so fun to watch uh because he is totally having fun with this. And mm-hmm. he loves sparring. And he loves the banter back and forth. And you can see it in his eyes. Uh, our relationship will be a peaceful one. He he digs in. And he's so good in this episode. He's one of my favorite parts of the episode. Um, and uh, man, William Campbell, it was just so good. He was, of course, in, uh, I think, one or two Elvis movies. Maybe just one uh but he was a, a a a guest star that would show up on uh, tv in the 60s all the time uh all the way up uh, till he uh passed away in the early 90s um we had him on talk trek uh once and he came in the studio and he was amazing and uh then i i saw him i saw him driving down uh uh I think Sepulveda Boulevard once, and uh, he was in his big Cadillac, and he his his gray hair was waving in the breeze, and I, I waved at him, and he waved back, and it was that was the last time I saw him.
5: Darren, you know what I loved about this episode? I love the fact that he and Captain Kirk already knew each other. Yes, you know yes. They, they they. And I always wondered where is that where is that episode? Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know because I to see where they first be- met. Because it was, it, it, Kirk was as pleased to see him as Koloth was to see Kirk, yeah, you yeah. know? And it was like, oh, my dear, oh, my yeah. dear God. And I was like, I bet these two guys got hammered one night. <laughs> like they, they met and they, they, when they met the first time they partied and like Koloth might've stolen the chick that Kirk was macking on. It the was The first time like, they met. It was, it, was, I, no, it was something like it was something like that. My I name mean, is Klong, uh, and I look after them both. No, I just had the impression they did not meet in battle. Yeah. They met, they met somewhere. Else. Yeah. It yeah. was maybe they had some cultural exchange program and Finnegan set him up or something when he was at the academy. <laughs> Who knows? But they had a little uh, wacky adventure, is what happened. Uh, yeah, and I just I always thought that whenever because the response and Shatner's having, I mean, you have two guys that can go big. Yeah and they went yeah. big. Yeah. And yeah, and they did. were having the best time. Yep. Yeah. And and he wasn't a, like a military threat the
3: way that Kor was or Kang right. later. Right. He was like a political threat. Right. Yes. You yes. know, he he just he he could outmaneuver him. As he far just- as
1: Sherman's planet is concerned, Captain Kirk has already given it to us.
3: Yeah. yeah. <laughs> great. So great. So great. Okay, number 39, the doctor is in, isn't he, Ashley? Uh yes he
1: is <laughs> check your list
3: checking my list I'm,
4: I'm checking, checking it, twice, it twice you know and uh, so I have a, a great fondness for uh for number thirty nine uh because in my opinion he had one of the most full arcs of any character on uh, on Star Trek in terms of
3: where he began Ford.
4: as a uh, as a person. Um, And where he ended up, the way that he developed. I'm speaking of Dr. Julian Bashir.
0: Ah, there you are. I was beginning to give up hope, Doctor. I would think that all those lunches we've shared would have entitled me to preferential treatment. Look, I have 12 wounded officers and crewmen out there, all of whom are in a lot worse shape than you, Garrick. Well, if you're trying to cheer me up, it's working. I feel better already. What happened? I was studying some star charts for Captain Sisko during the last assault when I had a sudden and rather violent encounter with a bulkhead. You'll live. I wish I shared your confidence. I'm sure my head will heal, but the way this war is going, I wouldn't bet on any of us living to a ripe old age. I admit the odds are not good, but they could be worse. Uh, Let me guess. You've used your genetically enhanced brain to calculate our chances for survival. It really wasn't that difficult. I simply started with a binary. I'm really not interested, doctor. Ever since it's become public knowledge that you're genetically engineered, you've used every opportunity to show off. I have nothing to hide anymore. I might as well use what I have. Well, what are our chances? Over 50%? 32.7. I'm sorry I asked. You're certain about that figure? Do you want me to take you through the entire set of calculations? Not really genetically engineered indeed excuse me well look at you you act as if you haven't a care in the world it's exactly that kind of smug superior attitude that makes people like you so unpopular are you trying to insult me? a 32.7% chance of survival I call that insulting don't take it so personally, (sighs) Garrick it's strictly a matter of mathematics no, it's strictly a matter of our lives you're not genetically engineered you're a Vulcan If I'm a Vulcan, then how do you explain my boyish smile? Not so boyish anymore,
4: Doctor. Chief Medical Officer of uh, Deep Space Nine. Uh, When we first meet Julian Bashir, he is a feckless lad who is, uh, you know, he is uh, kind of a, he's puppy-dogging Jadzia Dax. He is a goofball. He is not really in control of himself, Um, frankly, a lot of fans found him a little annoying at first, I think, um, because certainly the the crew did. I I think that there was a, there was a, there was intention, um, in how that was being played. And his relationship with Chief O'Brien began to mature him a little bit. Uh, his relationship with Garrick, a simple tailor, uh, matured him a little bit. And what was awesome about uh the uh, the performance by Alexander Siddig originally credited as Siddig, Siddig fadil uh was that he played the growth from episode to episode and before you knew it um this character who began very much as a boy had become an adult he had he truly become a man and um you know, he was interesting. He was thoughtful. He was still fun. You know, it's like he would go and play on the holodeck and pretend to be James Bond, except not James Bond. Um, you know, we'd have adventures and, uh, you know, he had, he had a, he was fun to watch when he was with chief O'Brien, his relationship with Jed Zia matured greatly. Um, and he stopped just kind of, you know, dogging her around the, uh, the, the, uh, the station. Um, and, uh, we found out some interesting things about him. For example, that uh, that he was uh, genetically engineered to be incredibly smart, uh, and that this, of course, was a uh, was a violation of all kinds of uh, of Federation laws. Um, and um, he became a, a subject of interest for uh, for Sloane. In uh section thirty-one, they tried to recruit him. For some reason, like, you know, creepy loner spies just kind of had a thing for Julian Bashir. <laughs> and the one of the greatest twists of all time in Star Trek, like all centered on uh Julian Bashir in the uh the by Inferno's Light, Paradise Lost, um, I'm sorry, uh I just screwed that up, didn't I? Because it's late. Uh, but we discover that Julian Bashir was, in fact, uh, taken by the Dominion. No, you were right. Uh, yeah, was yeah, was it?
5: Yeah, that's when it was revealed. Okay. Yeah.
4: All right. So then I got that right. I got it right, you guys. I get the point. That's so awesome. I, I feel like I, I don't have to turn in my card now. Uh, but yeah, I mean, the reveal that he had, he had been spending months uh, as a prisoner of the Hadar and there was a changeling bashir aboard the station was yes. fantastic and like one of the the best little details of that is when they found him he was wearing the wrong uniform he was wearing the old uniform before they switched um to the uh, uniforms that they created uh after after star trek first contact um but again he's just he's brilliantly performed um he is just in- incredibly well written it's just like Almost every character in Deep Space Nine. Uh, but uh, but yeah, I, I love him. He's my he is my second favorite
3: doctor.
1: And he's he, the nephew of Alexander DeLarge.
3: Yeah, that's and, right. He's Alexander McDowell's nephew. Yeah. yeah.
5: But another thing about him too is as a doctor, he had an empathy in his performance. There was he went into this kind of mode, the way he would speak. He would get into doctor empathy mode. And I bought it, man. I thought it was he was terrific when he had some medical dilemma, and he had this way about him that I absolutely believed and loved, and it endeared him to me uh, as a character. He was one of my favorite Deep Space Nine characters. Yeah. I think what was incredible is he became a great character. What you were saying, Ashley? Yeah. That he starts off.
3: With the puppy dog and you know the 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 element of his character he was very much a michael pillar creation to start he was this little you know nerdy guy who was like hitting on women but not getting anywhere with them but very good at what he did you know was very much a michael character and then ira came and just completely sort of transformed him into a character who's not only very good at what he did but he was exceptionally good because he was a, you know, a, a, you know, a eugenically enhanced, super genius. And, um, it's such a great twist. And then of course, the whole point where we find out that he was a changeling and, um, and, and, and then the whole recruitment of section 31, what, a what, and, and and the thing is, Alexander Siddig is probably one of the great actors on, a, one of the best actors on a show full of great actors. And, um, you know, he's never had a huge role after that, but he was in things like Syriana and he was in um, Game of Thrones. He's been in a bunch of other things. He's always great. Yeah. Yeah. And, he's always great. You know, it's become very fashionable to bag on Rick Berman for, in certain quarters for a variety of reasons. But, you know, that was all Rick hiring him. R- R- you know, Rick saw him in a, um, a prequel to Lawrence Arabia uh, on TV, a PBS show or something, and, and said, this is our Julian Bashir. Mm. And like there are not many people in 1992, 93 who would look at an Arab actor and say, this guy needs to be a lead on our show. And then he got a lot of pushback on that too, which is another reason they didn't write to him. And they got very close to writing him off the show. And instead of writing him off the show, they wrote him onto the show by giving him something to play. Right, And it's really a remarkable story. And I think... Alexander Siddig, and, and well, in this case, we're talking about characters. The character of Julian Bashir is um, is great. It shows that even the worst character can become great with you know a, a good writer in his corner.
5: And yeah. well, then they gave him the romance with Ezri Dax. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, the, the seventh season. So they they constantly were innovating with him, and it was really great. Well, that and comes never... on the
3: heels of him chasing Jazia all those years.
5: Yeah, which is 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 so.
3: You know, it's such an interesting thing to play. Then now he's with Esri after he sort of gave up that pursuit yep. and, and wharf courted her. And it was like the whole thing was like this bizarre sci-fi Philadelphia story. Yeah. Yes. All good. Well that's it, that's that's great. And then uh, we go back, we go back to T O S and Robert Byrd Burdett with mm. that mm. Poppin' J Leo Walsh. All right, all right.
0: Explain. How did you get here? We left you in custody after that affair on the Rigel mining planet. Ah, Yes. Well, I organized a technical information service uh,
6: bringing modern industrial techniques to backward planets, making available certain valuable patents to struggling young civilizations throughout the galaxy. Did you pay royalties to the owners of those patents? Uh, Well, actually, Kirk, uh, as a defender of the free enterprise system, I found myself in a in mean, rather ambiguous conflict as a matter of principle. He did not pay royalties. Knowledge, sir, should be free to all. Who caught you? Well, that, sir, is an outrageous assumption. Yes, who caught you? I, I. I sold the Denebians uh, all the rights to a Vulcan fuel synthesizer.
0: And the Denebians contacted the Vulcans? How'd you know? That's what I would have done.
6: Uh-huh. It's typical police mentality. They've got no sense of humor.
2: They
0: arrested me. Oh,
2: I find that
6: shocking. Worse than that. Do you know what the penalty of a fraud is on Denim 5? The guilty party has his choice death by electrocution, death by gas, death by phaser, death by hanging. The key word in your entire peroration, Mr. Spark, was death. Barbarians. Well, of course I left.
0: He broke jail.
6: I, I borrowed transportation. He stole a spaceship. The, the patrol reacted in a hostile manner. They fired at him. They've got no respect for private property. They damaged the bloody spaceship.
5: Yeah, you know this is a character you know, from 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 one of the very this was from this character was from the fourth episode of Star Trek film, the third episode broadcast, yeah. and it's a character that is probably closest to the Western roots. When Roddenberry called this a wagon train to the stars, this was a yeah. character that. They probably recycled a an old a Bonanza script for for this episode. Stephen uh, Kandel wrote this. Um, uh, Hardcore fet and mud. Now Leo in Walsh this, in this uh, Leo, Leo Walsh in this episode um, he is he is literally a Western character plunked down into the darkest reaches of space. You know, we meet him. He's he's basically commandeered a ship. He is literally taking women to uh, be betrothed to minors. <laughs> they, don't even, yeah. they don't even change it. They're not, I, I, it's not even like relatively space miners. Literally, they're just minors. He's a pimp. Yeah, he's, he's a pimp, no. but he's, uh, you know, he's a love broker. <laughs> he's if you like night shift. He's a love broker. I mean, he's look, a he's a man. He's a man. These women want husbands and, and these, these minors want women.
1: He's bringing and people together.
5: Yes. And yeah, okay, he's a human trafficker now. I get it. But 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 what what's really interesting is I did not like that element of the script very much. It didn't I thought it was kind of silly, but then there's something that is really interesting that they added into this script. They took their Western script and they gave it a great sci-fi conceit. They gave it this Venus drug that he also had that he would ply these women with. And the idea was that they, they, of course, became beautiful. They needed the drugs to become beautiful. At least as that's how they played it in the episode. You know, and, and and whether it was, it really resonates later if you think about the, the culture of drugs in, say, Hollywood, where people thought that they needed these drugs to be the people they, look, I, I, I have to have these drugs. And even to this day, people are still using chemicals to make them they're better selves or whatever. Right. And there's a really interesting lesson in this episode, at least when he's introduced, that, you know, take it, Eve, you know, you need it, but you don't need it. And I, I think that this episode has that saving grace is that ultimately you don't need to take some drug to make you beautiful. If you're No uh, Botox. Yeah, if you have if you have a certain beauty, it's in it's it's innately in you, and you don't need it, a drug. For if it, it
1: were done today, uh, Harry Mudd would be uh, distributing Instagram filters.
5: <laughs> but it's no, it's that's very. Uh. I I can I can see that, and then of course, then they brought him back in the second season, and in the animated series, and in Discovery, yeah, this character, and in the second episode, he was a complete goof, and I it was it. In iMud, he has a race of androids that now work for him because he found the technology of the old ones, as we learned about earlier in this episode. Um, and it, it, the character just became a, a disposable... Of all the comedic Star Trek episodes, iMud, to me, is probably the most lightweight. And Barcourt there Markort
4: Fenton mud? Have there, you been yeah, drinking might, again?
5: Yeah, there might be something there, but even as a kid... I was mildly amused by this episode for about five minutes, but I never liked the character of Harry Mudd, to be honest. However, that said, Roger C. Carmel tears it up as yep. Harry Mudd. This actor is whatever, whatever problems I have in the writing of these episodes or how much I enjoy these episodes, I'll tell you what, he makes I it could work. watch him all day. Yep. He is incredible. He's amazing as Harry Mudd and uh, I give him all the credit in the world for taking. Uh, I mean, he might as well be, you know, uh, on a on an episode of the, of Batman. He was once. I was just gonna one. say,
3: yeah, I was. I was just gonna say,
5: you know, he was really great in a
3: piece of the action. No, not that piece of the action. Yeah, yeah I know. It was, uh, uh, Batman. He played yep. Colonel
5: Gum, the nefarious Colonel Gum. Yes, he did. And the it it, it I don't know. I mean. The fact that they brought him back and turned him into a psychopathic murderer in, Voy- uh, in discovery, never I never understood <laughs> where that came from, but OK, <laughs> you know, that would predate Mudd's women. But still, I like Rain Wilson as an actor, but as a character, I think that Harry Mudd, he's had multiple iterations, and it's, it's a, he's a strange character, but memorable. Yeah, you know, I like
3: I might a lot more than you do. I think it's bizarre, and especially when it gets all surreal at the end where they have to, you know, defeat the androids by, you know, blowing their minds. I I love that. I I do love. But I love you. But we are exactly the same. It's just so bizarre. So in that sense, it's it's interesting. And plus, I love that he goes from being a goof to being sinister to being a goof again in that episode. So, uh, you know, and he's not
5: space pimp anymore. But I do love, I honestly... I love the design of the character in the animated series. Well, much passion may be the best of the three yeah. of them. Uh, I mean, it's a, yes, it's great. He's hawking a love potion.
3: And, you know, obviously in the cartoon, they got to fight monsters at the end, but all the stuff with the love potion getting, which he thinks is totally um, ineffective fake. and fake. Yeah. It's a fake, it's a phony. And uh, and then it turns out to be real And then it infects everyone on the Enterprise and like Chapel and Spock. And it's like, it's a really sort of fun, clever episode that I guess had been in the talks for the third season. Right. You know, until Freiberger killed all the sequels, like the triple sequel and, you know, Gerald stuff. And I think, you know, in this one too. But there's some great, you know, lines. McCoy has that great line in Mud's Passion where he says, you know, uh, you know, I've saved everyone on the Enterprise. And, one, and if the Enterprise had a heart, I would have saved her too. Yeah. And it's, like, I mean, it's like it's just funny, and he's great at it. It's, it's another case where thank God they brought the actor back; that it wasn't yeah. Jimmy Doon doing it. oh <laughs> I'm sorry. No offense to Jimmy Doon, but you yeah. know Roger C. Carmel was such a larger than life
1: look character. Majel's version of Harry Mudd was bad.
3: <laughs> yeah. and what you, you know and the last thing i'll say about that is it I, I truly wonder because gene did tell roger carmel that he wanted to do a harry mudd spinoff harry Mudge space yeah. pirate yeah. whether or not that was just blowing smoke or he, he seriously
5: was considering it who knows but how great would that how have great been? would it have been oh, oh my God. Y- yeah i mean especially if if they, they, they really, I think, would have ended up getting a good handle on that character, mm-hmm. yeah. Especially if he, if he did become this charming rogue that had sort of a change in his life or something right. through the course of these adventures.
3: Yeah, Star Trick. Mud. It would, it would, it would have been, it would have been, it would have been great. Okay, Mud Trick. So uh, that brings us back to Darren Dockerman and number thirty-seven. Number thirty-seven is sort of unfair because it, it actually covers two characters
1: that uh, you can argue that they're very closely related. Um, the first one is, of course, the other appearance of William Campbell as uh, the squire Trelane, uh, the lonely squire of Gothis, um, who it turns out to be just a kid playing with his toys. Uh, and it can be argued uh, among uh, fans that uh, perhaps Trelane and his parents are members of the Q continuum. Now, whether or not this uh, is a fun idea, or whether or not it shrivels the uh, uh, universe of Star Trek down uh, a lot, um, that's uh, neither here nor there. It it could be per- uh, primarily because of John Delancey's portrayal of Q in uh, in the Next Generation in the pilot episode. At first, um, he is very reminiscent of Trelane in in his portrayal and it's almost the same character as you see him he's uh, sort of playful he's uh, he's uh, he looks down at the uh, at the humans he uh, has so many powers that uh, you know he's he's basically uh, dallying with the with the little people um and it's uh, it's a fun thing that's why my other character in number 37 is q well don't just stand there say something get out of my chair and I was
2: hoping for something more along the lines of... Welcome back, Q. It's a pleasure to see you again, my old friend. We're not friends. You wound me, mon Capita. There. Perhaps now your manners will show some improvement. What brings you here, Q? Have you been banished by the continuum once again? Oh, hardly. They're still apologizing to me for the last time. And what is it you want? Do I always have to have a reason to stop by? I was merely in the sector. I was, uh... How you force a confession from me The truth is I have a debt to repay A debt? To you And it gnaws at me And it interferes with each of my days I have no idea what you're talking about Without your assistance in our last encounter I would never have survived I would have taken my own life But for you We all make mistakes Your good deed made possible My reinstatement in the continuum And I resent owing you anything So, I'm here to pay up. Tell me, what is it you wish? And I'll be gone. Just be gone. That'll do nicely. No, 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 no. It has to be something more, more, uh, constructive. That's my new word for the day. Some other time, Q. Right now, I have other matters to attend to. Yes, your speech, I read it. It's dull, plodding, pedantic, much like yourself. I could help
1: you with it. No, thank you. Um... Whose uh, full Who? name is uh, Quetzalcoatl. Um, <laughs> no, no, people don't really realize that. Um, but, uh, we call ourselves the winged the Q. serpent. Yes, the winged serpent. We call ourselves the Q or thou mayst call me that. Um, it's, uh, I, I love John Delancey's, uh, uh, portrayal most of the time. Um, there, there are some times when he's, uh, actually used as a crutch. Uh, in several TNG episodes. But most of the time, he's very interesting and uh, sort of uh, bigger than life. And that's sort of a fun thing in TNG. I think they used him too many times, but uh, he sure is fun. And it, it's nice that he bookended the series uh, uh, as the character. Um, and of course, uh, I think he was the best part of the second season of uh, Picard. Uh but um, these two characters, you know, how many times do the Enterprise crew deal with uh, demigod-like uh, personas? And hmm. uh, apparently a few times. Uh, so they are, you know, used to it by now. Um, I do think that I like Captain Kirk's uh, engagement with Trelane more than Picard's with Q. Because I think most of the time Q just got bored with Picard and left by the end of the episode. But... Kirk actually engaged Trelane and taught him a valuable lesson um which is uh which is a great thing i mean his his sparring uh with Trelane uh at his uh, mock trial uh, basically uh, spanking him uh for being stupid uh <laughs> is is so great and and yeah. seeing seeing Kirk's uh, spin up that in fact you have a lot to learn about everything don't you uh, it's so good uh because you see Kirk sort of uh, latch on to trelane's weakness and just dig and dig and dig and it's so great um which is why I like Trelane a little more than I do q but the, yeah. they're they're
3: both good characters where I draw but the line between them is Trelane is more fun when he's impish and mm-hmm. q is more fun when he's sinister yeah because they you know when they played him impish it was less interesting yeah. but when you see him in tapestry or all good things um yeah. You know, that's where he really shines. Yep. Or yeah. Even in the okay, I have to say in the Mariachi band at the end of uh that was pretty funny too. But uh Deja Q. But well, it's that, when the, the two are kind of contrasted directly, right? It's yeah. it's
4: because one provides an edge to
5: the other when it's
4: when it's done well.
5: I mm-hmm. think. Um, and I, I have to point out, you know, Peter David did write a, a pretty great Star Trek novel, a hardcover, Q Squared, where Trelane is is part of the Q continuum, yeah. gets a power and and causes a problem for Q, and it was actually a pretty good book. And I think in terms of all the things that you want to draw parallels to, or if you want to make beta canon, alpha canon, that um, I do think that that Q uh, that Trelane being part of the Q continuum is okay by me, and and I like the fact that why wouldn't a, a kid go out and explore various aspects of the universe. Yeah. You know, and 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 uh, but I haven't finished
1: studying my predators yet.
5: Yeah, I mean, it's because that's what I would have done if I was an imp, uh, imp uh, impotent, if I was a if I, that's not the word I wanted to use, uh, if, if if I was a uh, uh, infinitely powered uh, uh, individual, combination. omnipotent, yes. imp. omnipotent imp. If I was an omnipotent imp, I too would go build a castle and. And, you know, read uh, right out of my fairy tale books or whatever, which was, yeah. you know, the history of Earth or whatever you planet. You
1: said I cooked, Yeah, I mean, <laughs> I, I, that's
5: what I would do, you know. And and I always I related to Trelane, and I love the fact that he was a dandy as well. Yeah. He wanted to yeah. dress up and he you was you a total to a dandy. Dude?
1: Yes, if you had the courage. <laughs> it should be pointed out
4: that Q also appeared a lot on Voyager fairly successfully. Um it appeared once on Deep Space 9 unsuccessfully and I think it kind of says something about Q as a character and how he fits and how he doesn't. Um on Deep Space 9 it was like what are you doing on this yeah. show dude? Like you don't mm-hmm. belong. It's like it would it's it would really be like having an actual Sith show up on Andor. Um Yeah, that's a great but, analogy. <laughs> because like, well, you're silly, why are you here? Um but On on Voyager, it worked. It was like it was the right uh, sort of conflict with Janeway, and he also kind of gave that show some energy. I think that it Mm -hmm. that it needed when he was uh, when he was on it. It, They were never as good as the episodes uh, of uh, of Next Generation, but he definitely worked better on Voyager than he did on Deep Space Nine.
3: Yeah, the problem with Voyager was you always said. Why doesn't he just snap his fingers and bring them home like he yeah. didn't? Q. Right. Why are you being yeah. a dick, Q? I um I actually John Delancey is one of the Star
4: Trek actors that I I was uh, fortunate enough to uh, to cast, um and I was happy to uh, to put him in a couple of scenes with Anson Mount. I kind of felt like I I got to have Captain Pike, you know, versus Q. Um, but I I just I, I was I was trying so hard not to fangirl. <laughs> all over John Delancey when he was in the green room, I was trying to talk to him like I'm the goddamn executive producer of the show, but I'm just like, yeah. But tell me about Star Trek. Um, he was at that point he had not yet been uh, been cast on Picard, and so right. he was just he just wanted to talk about how he just you know how could you do Star Trek without how could you do a story about Picard
3: without Q? Like it's just it was, that was his thing. He was, <laughs> but I was like, you go, you're right, yeah. Okay, so uh, that brings us to the last uh, uh, um, character on our part five, and this is uh, number 36. Ashley, tell us who's going to close out the list for this week. Well, you know, uh, a a couple of items back,
4: we talked about Harry Mud, and I am (laughs) going to talk about a character who is made out of mud. Constable uh, Odo. Oh,
0: no. All right, these
4: bar stools
0: will have to be removed. You know how much they cost? No, and I can't say I'm interested in learning. Station Regulation Twenty Five Sixty Two, Paragraph Four: All furniture intended for use on the promenade must not pose a danger to public safety. What danger? Without a back on the stool, Morn could tumble from his perch at any moment, shattering his upper vertebra or puncturing three or four of his lungs.
2: Nonsense. His body weight is perfectly distributed across the seat. He's also better able to enjoy the view of the lovely Davopros than he was before. And should he require another drink, he need only spin back. Which points out another danger, vertigo. This isn't going to give anybody
0: vertigo. Your appeal has been heard and rejected. I want the barstools removed by the end of the day. Now, it's come to my attention that your dabo wheel is in violation of station regulation 4721, which states... Odo. Norris. You busy? Not at all.
5: Well, then can I interest you in some
0: lunch? Where shall we go? I was thinking about the Klingon restaurant. I've been there for ages, and I've been
5: craving Burl Craddle eggs.
0: Too bad about the barstools. I kind of liked them. Did you notice how he changed the minute she walked into the room? Their love. And what's love? Well, it's a- love's a distraction, and a distracted policeman is
4: an opportunity.
1: He's not made out of mud. He's made out of delicious honey. You're right. Yes, he he's got he his is own bucket, made out of clay, which is like a dreidel. <laughs>
4: we We joke, but Constable Odo is a terrific character. Um, he is played by the just again, like the best casting, like of any direct show. Uh, by the unbelievably talented Renee Aberonois, mm-hmm. um originally envisioned as sort of a Clint Eastwood type uh, yeah. to uh, to to wander the the mean corridors of Deep Space Nine and kind of keeping a lid on all the the crime and all like the ne'er-do- wells like quark. Um, but what uh, René Zellweger brought to the role was something else entirely. I don't know that he was interested in playing Clint Eastwood. There was a little bit of that, um, especially early on. Um, but what he really developed into was very much we talked about. The shows need their Spock. He kind of turned into the Spock yeah. of uh, of Deep Space Nine, except he had these really very interesting, specific relationships with very key characters, and in a way, like he he linked. Forgive the term, um, no pun intended. Uh a, a lot of the elements of the show, because he had a very adversarial relationship with Cork that was always fun because Cork was always scheming. Yeah. And uh Odo was always, you know, trying to like see through his schemes and you know, and stuff like Cork. a
1: spock McCoy relationship.
4: Yeah, kinda, you know, yeah. and like and those guys were great. Armin Shimmerman, Renee why They had a wonderful yeah. chemistry together. Um, he had a romance, uh at first an unrequited. Love of of, uh, Major Kira. And, um, you know, he was very much a part of the Bajoran story, the Cardassian story that began Deep Space Nine. Um, He had a very interesting relationship with Cisco. I I think that he understood Cisco probably better than anybody in some ways because, you know, look, Cisco as a, and I, 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 look, it's possible we'll talk about Cisco later. But let just say that their relationship was, it was interesting. It was, um, because Odo as a character was very no bullcrap. Uh, he called it as he saw it. He did what he thought was right. And that was it. Um, he had angst, but only as it pertained to his personal relationships and dealing with his emotions and not like in a teenager kind of way in, in the way that, you would expect from somebody who wakes up every day and can be someone or something different, um, who literally struggles with identity uh, at all times and in all places. And then, of course, you know, the bomb that drops is that he is a changeling. He is, you know, he is one of the founders, um, the, the the race that created the dominion. He is the enemy. He is the ultimate expression of the enemy, um, and the, the way that he plays the, the internal conflict over that, right? the way that, um, that Odo expresses just sort of the, the, the horror at what his people are capable of, um, his rejection of their moral point of view, and yet his sympathy for who they are and his feeling of connection to them that he, that he cannot deny. And the way that every time he encounters them, you feel as though he is, he is trying to tempt them to seduce them to good and failing. Um, so, you know, they just kept coming up with new ways to make Odo just great in an episode, uh, in a scene to really take advantage of the acting power of uh, René Aberginois, which I love to say it just trips off the yeah. tongue. Um, and uh, you know, again, it's just it's it's what happens. Like what Mark said, I mean, you take a you know a great actor and great writing, and you put them together, um, especially in the the context of a story like that, where he can touch so many different aspects of it. it just he's he's fantastic.
1: And when he's dry and ready, then Odo, I shall play. <laughs> Oh jeez! <laughs> <Thank> well, <you. laughs> I mean, you
3: know what a career he had, and what a loss because, of course, he started in those great Robert Altman films with MASH and McMillan. I would say McMillan, McMillan, McMillan Maccabin, <laughs> and McCabe and Miss <laughs> Miller, McCabe Miss Miller. He
1: played Spider Man and Peter Parker on the Spider Man well, Rock Comic album.
3: He did a ton of voiceover from the, over from work the, the early seventies.
1: Yeah.
3: You know, um, you know, I I I, I always re- remember you know he was a hoot in King Kong the 76 King Kong right, right, you know and uh he just was great in everything he did you know later in his career he did Boston Legal with Bill Shatner and he was terrific in that um just a fantastic actor and he really made this um role uh heartbreaking you know yeah. it was so sad to see the decisions that he had to make um, you know, which he was facing, you know, the genocide against his whole species, or he's been searching for the species the whole time, finds out they're the ones trying to destroy the Federation. Um, you know, he's in love with Major Kira. I mean, so it's just so many, you know, which he felt would ultimately be unrequited and it isn't, but what a challenging relationship. But at the heart of it is, is, is a very human actor in Rene Oberjanwan. What a loss, you know, uh, to cancer. Um and it's just a shame because, you know, people say, Oh, will they ever bring back Deep Space Nine? You know, too many of the great Deep Space Nine actors are gone now. Yeah. Where it would never make sense to 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 try and continue that um that story in the form, you know, that it was. I mean, you can certainly bring back characters and other things, but you know, Deep Space Nine, they'll never be. It's impossible to ever continue
5: that story without people like Renee and Aaron. They did yeah. a great job in the books. I I mean I hate to harp on the books again, but they did do a long continuity post uh post the Deep Space Nine series. And it was what they did some really great things with uh with Deep Space Nine and, and all those characters. And you know, I've always asked Mark, maybe you know this. I, I I thought it was very interesting that he he kind of gets eliminated from Star Trek Six, except they in the director's cut his character is not only there, but also is this conspirator. Yeah, Colonel it's West. Colonel West. Colonel Colonel West. And in the, in, the, in the regular theatrical version, it's He's not. He's nowhere
4: around. Yeah. And, Friendly, and sir, we can clean their chronometers. I, I mean,
5: I, was that something Nicholas Meyer wanted, but the studio said, ah, oh, you don't need him. Cut him out. I think, like, well, look, he was good friends with Nick Meyer, which is why Nick put him in there.
3: Um, so they could hang out and, and everything. But I I I think it was. I think maybe Nick came to the realization we all did that it was so ham fisted in terms of Iran Contra and Colonel North mm-hmm. that it was just too you know on the nose, right? I don't know, I don't know because it is in the director's cut, so I don't know. I, I honestly don't know, and that maybe is the a question the next time we talk to Nick why that whole storyline. Maybe they thought it was too much. Maybe they thought it was always confusing. You know, and and because you already had Brock Peters as as one of the conspirators and like who's this? He he doesn't have enough screen time where you
5: really I just um, liked him. Frankly we can clean their chronometers. Always I always liked that line. But Odo, even from the first season, he had moments when you saw him on Tarok Noor before the I mean he was almost like a uh, like in Casablanca. You know, there was that one the flashback episode where you see him... Necessary Evil. Necessary Evil, which really is... Really great
3: episode for a season.
5: Terrific episode. I mean, it was really interesting because when they delved into Dax's history and Dax and then in Necessary Evil, those were two character-building episodes from the first season of Deep Space Nine that don't get a lot of love. But I always tell people, you know, there's probably five episodes I tell people to watch the first season of Deep Space Nine, and those That's are two of them. it's well, a the the whole pilot. noir. I love seeing the station under Cardassian occupation. Yeah, it's great. And and he just he was terrific. And and his he his he had this sort of bemused quality to his performance a lot of the time before the Dominion War, where he kind of was sitting back and he always had that smirk on his face like, but he loved watching the machinations of everything going on.
3: He was a knowing observer. But here's the thing: the closest they ever got to capturing the Spock McCoy relationship, and God knows people have tried with Data and Pulaski and all this stuff, it never worked, right? Yeah. Quark and Odo was right on the money. That yeah. was like, I believe I said Spock that. Did you say that? Yes, I sure did. Oh, <laughs> I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. This is what happens. i forgetting. I get from missing staff meetings.
1: But I, I just, I just want to mention that uh, mention that uh, Renee was. Wonderful, and we had him on uh, on Talk Trek as well in the studio, and he performed his entire song from Beauty and the Beast for us on uh. the air. And he, you know, les poissons, les poissons, how I love les poissons. He was so fun and so enjoyed, you know, sharing uh, stories with us, and it was it, such a great loss.
3: Yeah, I, 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 abso- absolutely, really, really, really sweet man. And that brings us to the end of uh, this installment of the <laughs> Inglorious Trexford's Holiday Special. Um, we're, we're celebrating President's Day soon. <laughs> and uh, it's. I uh, you think it's, you're ir- funny. You're not funny. The, the hits keep on coming, <laughs> but we still got a few more, a few more to, before we get to number one. And you may think you know what number one is, Yeah. but you don't necessarily until you hear it for yourselves. I'm guessing we got three more episodes out of this. We, we have three more episodes, actually. I, I, I have already, yes, we have three more. There's three more episodes coming up, <laughs> and uh, each one of them will hold very special surprises that will enchant, <laughs> delight, and repulse you, so you don't want to miss them, because uh, who knows what's going to come out of our mouths. We yeah. say all this stuff live. It's not edited. It's live to tape, so you know, once we say you know, it, it's out there. Can't take it back. Nothing we can do. Anything can so, happen. Anything can happen. <laughs> Wednesday, anything can happen day on the old Mickey Mouse Club. So, uh, Pretty pretty awesome stuff. Oh, that was another thing on Blu-ray, I the 4K. Angel Heart came out on uh, Blu-ray. Yeah. What yeah, did you no. get
4: from the Mickey Mouse Club to Angel Heart?
3: Because well, that's Mickey a line in Angel Heart. Him of Angel Heart. Yeah. No, no, in yeah. Angel Heart, he says, you ever watch the old Mickey Mouse Club? Yeah. Remember that's Wednesday? Right. It's Anything Can Happen Day. Oh, right. That's how. That's how okay. that's smart how. ass. Okay. So I was, uh I was fascinated by that. That's all. <laughs> I hope I hope uh, you're all out there listening to Deck Deck 78. And the only way to do that is to subscribe on Trexpress Plus. dot is where you can find all the details. So join us. We got some great episodes coming out on Deck 78 where we're not doing a holiday countdown. So if right. you're you're sick of this already, you may want to listen to Deck 78. If you're
1: sick of this, it's gonna cost you
3: five bucks a month.
1: They're doing a countdown. <laughs> <laughs>
3: uh and, uh, and of course, if you want to listen to Rob Muse on everything under the sun, you can check out
1: YouTube. The Burnett Work. The Burnett
3: Work <laughs> on YouTube. You <laughs> can. I thought you were going to jump in there. I, thought you were gonna, I, didn't, I was going for the pause. You could jump in there. I didn't know you wanted oh, me to do the whole spiel.
5: I, 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 yeah, no. The, the, I appreciate you giving me the plug. Um, but, yes, the Burnett Work. Come visit us.
3: Yeah, how do they do that, Rob?
5: <laughs> Just go oh, to well. YouTube. Type in the Burnet Work. You, you can go. find me. <laughs> Great. We have a show um, every other week that's totally in Spanish, called uh, Que pasa PGS because the Post Geek Singularity. Do, do you talk in, in Spanish? Uh, I do not, <laughs> but uh, but uh, Roberto Suarez and Alex Montano do. And then we have uh, the Women of the Post PGS on Mondays with Rm uh, or Rm as we call her. Uh, you can go see that, or you can see me on my shows, Rob Observations, Let's Get Physical Media, and Midnight Musings. When are you going to be adding a show in Klingonese? Uh, if somebody wants to speak Klingonese and uh, be on the show, um, they can have their own show. It is <laughs> after heard all. You here first. Is it? It is after all the Burnett work. And we want a slate, you know. We're bringing you. We're gonna have a whole TV guide of fall preview. Uh, great shows to. Well, uh, that's
3: my opinion too, <laughs> Rob. Remember when in Fresno and those Klingons wouldn't let us into the convention? <laughs> oh, we were like the guests of honor, and they're like, <laughs> and they, they had their little. You were balance. running the convention; they weren't gonna let you in. Yeah, I know. It's like good thing they weren't in a scooter. Man, I mean, those were that was it was that Visalia, right? That was in Visalia. Yeah,
5: it wasn't Fresno. it was, it was Visalia. It was Visalia. Yeah, and that Wars. was Central California. Yeah. Oh, ah, yeah. boy, Star Trek's been a part of our lives for a long, long time. It really
3: has. And you know, it's funny because I haven't watched Star Trek in a long time, but I've been watching it again, and I'm really enjoying it. It's good. You know what? It's good. <laughs> the show's fan. pretty good. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's, the shows go, you know. And it's funny because I, I got uh, you know I got them all, but. Thank you, Pluto. Thank you, Pluto TV. (laughs) (laughs) You restored my faith. <laughs> and you've restored my TV. <laughs> <laughs> well, this is great. And we'll be back next week with an all new uh, continuation of the countdown. Um, so, uh, on behalf of, uh, of course, you can also follow us on Twitter and Inglorious Trek and Instagram on Inglorious Trek and on Facebook and Inglorious Trek. And hopefully we're still on, uh, uh, Twitter by the time you hear this. Uh, who, who the hell knows? So, uh, anyway, I want to, I want to thank uh, Rob Burnett for once again indulging us and, and joining us. It's so interesting the way this is shaping up. It's like, Rob is like, I mean, obviously we're, we're experts on track across the board, but Rob really seems to have this really spotlight on Voyager. And then you get to Deep Space Nine with Ashley. And then Darren is the TOS expert. And then it seems like I've fallen into the next gen uh, expert. It's so interesting that we all have a, if we had Sussman here to talk about enterprise, we'd hit for the cycle. If we, if
1: we keep this up for very much longer, there may not be an internet
3: still around. Okay, on that (laughs) note, I want to thank all our guests and thank you to listeners for sticking with us through all this. So until the holiday specials continue next week, keep on trekking and gloriously of course.